أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام م ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي والحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين ثم أما بعد ونسجان السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته The intention this Ramadan inshallah ta'ala is to uh, at least be exposed to some basic lessons from uh, the peak of the Qur'an, the Messenger of Allah says sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ سَنَامُ وَسَنَامُ الْقُرْآنَ الْبَقَرَةِ Everything has a peak. Sanam is actually used for the, the hump of a camel, the peak of it. So he says everything has a peak, and the peak of the Qur'an is Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, and this is inshallah ta'ala not really going to be a tafsir series, because in tafsir you have to pay attention to a lot of details, and certainly if we did that, we'd be spending a lot of time, the rest of the month even on the first page, we wouldn't really get far. But inshallah ta'ala, the intent here is to at least be exposed to some of the basic lessons and reminders and, uh, and wisdom that Allah Azza wa Jal offers us in this remarkable and beautiful surah. And one of the other things I'll try to focus on is how the speech flows. In other words, how Allah goes from one subject to another, to another, to another, which a lot of times when you're reading the Qur'an in translation, it feels like, the subject is kind of randomly changing or there's a lack of continuity. Whereas the case is that there's incredible continuity. It's, it's very, very connected text and it's something that flows beautifully. So that's one of the attempts that we're going to be trying to expose uh, is the, the flow of the text and the, the tanasub of the ayat, the correlation of the ayat, inshallah ta'ala. So we begin, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif, Lam, Mim. Of course, you all know that these are called huruf muqatta'at, the huruf that are cut apart from each other, and only Allah knows what their true meaning is. Though there have been scholars and even some sahaba that offered certain meanings to these ayat, these words, these letters, but the majority position is that only Allah Azza wa Jal knows what these words mean. Nonetheless, there are a few things you should note about them uh, that, that may be of benefit, inshallah ta'ala, in one study. The first and probably the most beneficial comment I found on it was by Fakhruddin al-Razi commenting on this ayah. He says that Allah Azza wa Jal taught us how to ask for guidance in the previous surah, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ We ask for guidance. And of course, this is the, the Fatiha begins with a mention of guidance. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَعْرِبَ فِيهِ هُدًا It begins with guidance. But before it tells us, you ask for guidance, here it is. He said something that we cannot understand. In other words, he put our intellect in its place. He let us know subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you really want to get guidance from this book, understand you cannot understand everything. First understand that. Understand that he knows more than you, and what he gives you, you're, you are going to make an attempt to understand. You're going to ask Allah to give you understanding of this deen, but in the end all knowledge belongs to him. So when you come to the book with an attitude of arrogance, you'll get nothing. But if you submit your intellect to Allah's word, then you will get benefit and the doors of wisdom will be open. The other thing that's mentioned, a Sha'arawi rahimahullah, who passed away in his, his great tafasir lectures on the surah, he mentioned something about Alif Lam Mim, that of course all of you know this is a Madani surah. And in Madani, uh, the, the Madani experience of the Prophet ﷺ, one of the primary audiences was the Jewish community, the Israelites. And of course they've been addressed in detail in this surah. 
These were people that prided themselves over being people of education. They knew how to read and write and research, and they had volumes of books to their, at their disposal. Allah even mocks them about that sometimes because they have volumes of books that don't, they don't benefit from them. So he says, كَمَثَلِ الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ asfara." You know, in Surah Al-Jum'ah. But nonetheless, these were people that thought of themselves as educated. And one of the, uh, one of the derogatory terms they used for the Meccans was that these people are ummi. That was actually something they used to call the Meccans. That these people are unlettered. They don't know how to read and they don't know how to write. The Messenger ﷺ recites Alif, Lam, Mim. These are names of the letters in the alphabet. Isn't that true? Well, the Ummi people, the unlettered people, they don't know the names of the alphabet. They know how to say Alam, but they, the word Alif does not get used in Arabic conversation. Only someone who knows how to read or write would know what that word is, or lam, or meme. These are meaningless words in conversational Arabic. They only have relevance when you're reading and writing. So when the Messenger ﷺ recites Alif Lam Meme, it sends shock waves to these people who consider themselves educated. All of a sudden, the one that they had brushed off as he, he doesn't know anything, where did he get this access to this information? How does he know the names of these letters even? So even they're being put in check. And they're being, their attention is being grabbed by these huruf muqatta'at sometimes. And finally, just another brief comment about huruf muqatta'at that is, that is mentioned by Al-Kashaf al-Zamakhshari, mentioned something interesting about one of the benefits of these letters that are in the beginnings of certain surahs. He says, هَذِهِ حُرُوفُكُمْ أَلَّتِي تَصْنَعُونَ فِي لُغَتِكُمْ فِي كَلَامِكُمْ These are your letters. These letters, alif, lam, ba, ta, whatever the letters are, these are letters that are in your alphabet. You make words with them yourselves. And Allah has made words using those letters too. But how come you can't compete? How come you can't produce something that Allah has produced? So He's almost mocking them with using these letters. Come on, bring something. And this challenge will come up later on in this same surah also. فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِنْ مِثْلِهِ Bring a surah like it. Anyhow, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابِ ذَلِكَ of course means that. And the word for this is هَذَا in Arabic. A lot of translations say, this is the book in which there is no doubt. Have you read that translation before? But the Arabic word for this is the word, هَذَا. But Allah uses the word, ذَلِكَ. And there's, there's some couple of benefits here, and then I'll go quickly inshaAllah ta'ala. ذَلِكَ, إِشَارَ لِلْبَعِيدِ is used when you talk about something that's far away. And one of the benefits of that is the book, the messenger didn't have a physical book with him. The words were coming onto his heart sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he's reciting them onto the people. There's no pieces of paper, there's no book to show. So where is the book? Cuz Allah didn't say Quran here, recital, he said kitab, book. Where is the book? It's in the 7th heaven. It's with Allah azza wa jal. It's in lawhun mahfuz. So when pointing to something that is way up there, it's clearly it's far away. So he says dhalika. He says that. So it's referring to something that is elevated that is high. Also in Arabic rhetoric, when you point to something that is far away, it is to say it is above, it has a high standard, it's something elevated. So this is a means of magnifying the greatness of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ There is absolutely no room for any doubt in it whatsoever. La رَيْبَ is called in Arabic, نَافِيَ jins. When you say no to something which cannot have any exceptions, then you put a fatha after the la. So la rayba, there's no room for any doubt whatsoever in it. He begins with that. By the way, later on he's gonna say, if you're in any doubt, rayb will come up again. But he begins by saying there can't be any doubt. There is no doubt whatsoever. You ask for guidance and this is the response to that, that, that request. 
Hudallil Muttaqeen, sent as a guidance, and as great guidance. And by the way, when you take the Al off, you know, common translation is a guidance or guidance. But the tanween in Arabic is Mufidul Azma also. It is incredible guidance. It is enormous guidance for people who have taqwa. The surah begins, this, this peak of the Qur'an begins with mention of the word taqwa. It will come over 36 times in different forms in this surah. Allah will keep talking about taqwa over and over and over and over again. It has something directly to do with our pursuit of guidance according to Allah. He, he, other places he says, Hudallin nas, guidance for people. But here he talks about those who ask for guidance and actually want to benefit from that guidance, they will only be those who have this, this feeling inside them called taqwa. So inshallah ta'ala, eventually when we get to it, we'll talk about taqwa in detail. But for now, know that it's not just fear. Because the, the word for fear is khawf, khaifin, you know, and, and khashi'in, people who have khashia. But this is taqwa, it includes in it the, the attempt to want to protect yourself, to be careful, to be cautious. You know, even when you pack up carefully for hajj and make sure your passport's in the right place, and you got extra cash with you or whatever it is, فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ taqwa. Even there, even though it's taqwa of Allah, but also taqwa in taking precautions for hajj. That's mentioned in the ayah also. So it is guidance for those who really want to take care of the religion, who are afraid of falling into, into sin, who are truly fearful of disappointing Allah Azza wa Jal, and thus proceed carefully. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Those who believe in that which they cannot see. الْغَيْبِ That which is unseen, which is covered. وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ and they establish the salah. This sequence tells us something. If you believe in the unseen, establishing salah is easy. If you don't believe, if your iman in the unseen is weak, then you'll find yourself lazy in salah also. But if you find who's, who's the one who takes care of their salah and establishes, there's a difference between saying, وَيُصَلُّونَ They pray. He didn't say they pray, he said, وَيُقِيمُونَ salah. They establish salah. You know, establishing something means it, you don't, it doesn't break, it doesn't you know, flinch, it's firm. What, what kind of people will be able to strengthen their prayer like that? People who believe in the unseen. So, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And then from whatever we have provided them, and only from what we have provided them, they spend. Allah teaches us two things here. First of all, you're not spending anything that's yours. He tells us, I gave it to you and now you're spending. So, whenever we spend for the sake of Allah, and I know this, uh, this masjid is known, for giving others, even other institutions and organizations an opportunity to come and ask for funds, we have to keep in mind, we're not giving anything that's ours. We're giving that which Allah has given us, back to Allah Azza wa Jal. And that even not so He can increase in His, in His wealth, it is only for ourselves, subhanAllah. I often talk about it like a transfer of accounts. You know, there's a dunya account, and there's an akhira account, and you just transfer funds. When you transfer funds between accounts in this dunya, you don't say, man, I lost a lot of money. It's not, it's not a loss, it's just transfer of funds, isn't it? These are both your accounts. It's not anybody else's account. So, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ From what we have provided them, they spend. But the sequence is something we should reflect on. First, Allah mentioned real iman. And the first fruit of iman was establishment of salah. And if you really have establishment of salah, then what becomes easy for you? Then spending in the sake of Allah becomes easy for you. Because you recognize it's given from Allah anyway. وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ and they believe in what was sent to you. وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِن قَبْلِكَ 
And they also believe in what was sent much before you. Min qablik, much before you. In other words, we're not like those who ridicule previous revelations. And this is a mistake a Muslim might make when they get excited. Christians can have ceremonies on burning the Qur'an, and we say, oh yeah, well your Bible is full of contradictions and this and that and the other. Wait, wait a second. Yes, they have made changes in it. But we still have to show respect to the word of Allah that might be in there somewhere. We still have to show some respect. Because we have iman in that which was sent. We have, and that, that comes, with it comes regard and respect and honor. So even Allah mentions in Torah and Injil, hudan wa nur. So even when we speak about them and disagree with them and acknowledge that they have made changes in their books and added shirk and kufr in them, they have. But even if they have, we still have regard for the original revelations that were sent. That we, we don't drop from our standards just because they drop from their standards. And we're unlike them because, you know, uh, in our times, especially the Christian, the evangelical Christian community, they don't even think of us as non-believers. They actually believe we worship the devil. They believe now, they're pushing this idea that the Quran is the word of the devil. That's what they're pushing in their churches. They've actually written pamphlets about this. I was at the Isna convention this year, and there was a Christian group outside passing out these pamphlets, how the Qur'an is the word of the devil. But it began with, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, please do not put this pamphlet on the floor. So when a Muslim sees it, he thinks what? This is written by a Muslim. So they get reading it, get to reading it, right? And you get halfway through and you find what they're really about, what they're writing. But regardless of what, what poison they spew from their mouths, this is something Allah told us to be ready for. You're gonna hear lots of painful things from them, you know? وَلَتَسْمَعُنَّ مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَمِنَ الَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا أَذَنْ كَثِيرًا You're gonna hear lots of painful things from them. From the people who are given the book and from people who do shirk. You, that's, this, you have to be ready for it. وَإِن تَصْبِرُوا وَتَتَّقُوا If you have sabr and you continue to have taqwa, then you'll be alright. Then Allah will take care of your affair. So we have to be, we, sh- we shouldn't get worked up about these things. Anyhow, one last comment I wanted to make briefly about those who believe in what was sent to you and what was sent before you. Some of you might be familiar with the fitna of the, the Qadiani movement, right? Who believe in a messenger after the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and there are other movements like that too. And they use a lot of ayat of the Quran as their evidence to justify their belief. Actually, they're very clever at using ayat of Quran. And if you don't know Arabic and you don't know much about tafsir, they can run you. They can run circles around you, and you won't even know what's going on. They're very smart people. But if you, you know, one of the great scholars of, of uh, from from Pakistan actually. Uh, Dr. Murtaza Malik was in a debate with them and he said to them, listen, it's very simple. I don't even have to go through the entire Qur'an to refute your belief. We just open up Surah Al-Baqarah, start reading, we'll find how Allah defends the faith. They said, what are you going to find in Baqarah? There's no Khatamul Anbiya, Khatamul Nabiyyin. There's no you know, ending of the prophethood in Surah Al-Baqarah. What's he talking about? He said, read the ayah. They believe in what was sent to you, meaning who? The Messenger wasallam. And what was sent? Before you, there's no mention of anyone being sent. After, end of story, finish. So, <laughs> subhanallah. وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِن قَبْلِكَ وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُوقِنُونَ And in the, in the afterlife, especially in the afterlife, I say especially because بِالْآخِرَةِ is مُقَدَّمْ يُوقِنُونَ They are thoroughly convinced. Iqan in Arabic, yaqeen and iqan in Arabic, is to be convinced of something so solid, almost like you can see it. That's how solid you're convinced of it. You know how convinced you and I are that if we walk out of the meeting and we don't show up and we don't clock out and we leave the office, you are convinced you will get fired. You're convinced of that. That kind of conviction about missing salat. 
That kind of conviction about saying that which is haram, or seeing that which is haram, or doing that which is haram, or abandoning that which is you know, commanded to, they're convinced of it. Like they know the, you know, the cause and effect, they know what's gonna happen if they don't take certain action. You know, iman was mentioned about a lot of things, but yaqeen is mentioned about the akhirah. Because in the end, taqwa and changing yourself and committing to guidance will only happen when you are thoroughly convinced of this afterlife every day. Every day you're convinced of it. You know? So he says, Those are the people committed to great guidance from their master. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ And those are the ones who are, who are truly successful. May Allah make us all successful. I'll briefly tell you something about the word muflihun. Aflaha in Arabic, there's faiz. Faiz is also successful. Muflih is also successful. So what's the difference between faizun and muflihun? Muflih is actually the farmer. Who, you know, he plants the seed, he waters it, he waits for a good year as far as no infestation, he waits for the rain to come, for the crop to grow, for the winds to not destroy his crop. And at the end of that entire year of stress and struggle, he finally harvests the crop. And at the time of harvest, is called fallah, muflih. That's what he's called. In other words, he's successful, but after a long time of labor, Allah says these are the people who are successful, but He used the word for successful that implies in it that it doesn't come without effort. You have to put in a lot of time and effort to get to this success. Now the second group, no doubt those who have disbelieved, سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ It would be the same upon them. The results would be no different. أَنذَرْتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرْهُمْ if you, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, were to try to warn them, if you warned them or you didn't warn them, la yu'minun, they're not gonna believe. A very difficult ayah to understand if you just read it shallow. Allah says, no doubt about it, disbelievers, whether you warn them or not, they will not believe. How can this be? Because the messenger, first of all, the messenger is being told. Nobody will give better da'wah than the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And even if the messenger of Allah gives them da'wah, they're not gonna believe. Is this all disbelievers? You see, when you don't study Qur'an carefully, you can fall into lots of mistakes. If this is referring to everyone who disbelieves, there's no point of da'wah anymore. <laughs> Why not? Because whether you warn them or not, what's gonna happen? They're not gonna believe. This is a particular brand of disbelievers. These are the disbelievers, the messenger pled with them, warned them, gave them good news, gave them counsel, gave them examples, explained things one way, then another way, then another way, then another way, for an entire decade. And the only thing that increased in them was more animosity. Instead of becoming more open-minded over time, they became more closed-minded over time. So now that the hijrah has happened and Baqarah is an early Madani surah, these people who know that you're telling the truth, but they still don't want to hear it, these are the people at this point, the door to da'wah is closed for them. Don't bother with them anymore. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ أَنذَرْتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرْهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ It doesn't say, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَكْفُرُونَ Kafaru in the past tense is specifically here referring to those who are adamant in their kufr and have proven that they have made their deal, they've sold their souls, they're no longer interested in this message. خَتَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ Why is it that they won't believe? Allah has placed a seal upon their hearts. Now this, this is the ayah I will conclude with today, but I want to tell you something very beautiful and powerful about this surah. This surah, when, when we began, we said, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابِ لَا رَيْبِ No doubt, right? Where does doubt rest? What part of your body does doubt you know, affect? It's the heart. 
Hudan lil muttaqin. Hudan, guidance. Where does guidance rest? وَمَنْ يُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ يَهْدِي قَلْبَهُ Guidance is also in the heart. Then he says, Hudan lil muttaqin. المتقين. Taqwa is where? فَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنْ تَقْوَى الْقُلُوبِ Taqwa is also in the heart. Then he says, أَلَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Belief, iman. Where does iman rest? In the heart. Everything we've been talking about so far is a matter of what? The heart, over and over again. Even kufr, inna ladina kafaru, those who disbelieved. Disbelief is where? In the heart. Literally inside the heart. This is where kufr lies. So now everything had to do with the heart. You know in Surah Al-Jathiyah, this is the 45th surah, a very similar ayah comes. This ayah says, خَتَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ وَعَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِمْ Allah placed a seal upon their hearts and their hearing. So what did He seal first? The heart. The heart He sealed first. Isn't the entire context, the entire subject, didn't it have to do with the heart? It did, didn't it? So when it came to sealing, what did Allah seal first? The heart. Now if you go to Surah Al-Jathiyah, you find something interesting. He says, وَخَتَمَ عَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِ وَعَلَىٰ قَلْبِهِ He sealed his hearing and his heart. So what did Allah change? Instead of sealing the heart first, there in Surah Al-Jathiyah, in the 23rd ayah there, in Surah number 45, He sealed what first? He sealed the ears first, the hearing first. How come? This surah seals the heart first, that one seals the hearing first. This is the last thing I'll share with you and conclude this ayah inshaAllah. In Surah Al-Jathiyah, way in the 8th ayah, we learn something. We, we, we listen, listen to this ayah. He says, يَسْمَعُوا آيَاتِ اللَّهِ تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ يُصِرُّ مُسْتَكْبِرًا كَأَن لَمْ يَسْمَعْهَا He listens to the ayat of Allah being read on to him. And he turns away in arrogance as though he hadn't even heard them. What was the crime of the disbeliever in Surah Al-Jathiyah? Refusal to what? Listen. So 15 ayat later, when it came to sealing, Allah seals his ears first. خَتَمَ عَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِ وَعَلَىٰ قَلْبِهِ SubhanAllah. How subtle the speech, you know? Even how words are placed, Allah Azza wa Jal puts perfection in them. This is the subject matter is the heart, so the heart is sealed first. وَعَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِمْ Then وَعَلَىٰ أَبْصَارِهِمْ غِشَاوَةً And on their, ear, on their eyes, there's a cover. On their vision, there's a cover. A cover means they see, but they don't see. You know? لَهُمْ أَعْيُنٌ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ بِهَا They have eyes, but they can't see with them. They see a messenger, they see the one with the perfect character, but they have the audacity to call him a liar. They have the audacity to call him a magician, even if they don't see it as magic. They themselves don't see it as magic. But they still want to call it that. Their eyes have been covered. وَعَلَىٰ أَبْصَادِهِمْ غِشَاوَةً وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ And for them, especially for them, there is great punishment. Now later on, we're gonna read عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Painful punishment. Now we're reading عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ Great punishment. What is the difference between these two inshaAllah ta'ala? I'll share with you in detail tomorrow. How come Allah mentions great punishment? Then later on He will mention painful punishment. We'll conclude with this ayah. بَارَكَ li walakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim وَنَفَعْنِي وَإِيَّاكُمْ بِالْآيَاتِ وَذِكْرِ الْحَكِيمِ أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ومن الناس من يقول آمنا بالله وباليوم الآخر وما هم بمؤمنين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولاه ثم أما بعد إن شاء الله we're beginning with the 8th ayah of Surah Al-Baqarah today the last ayah we had studied was Allah placing a, steel, a seal upon those who are bent upon disbelief. Allah placed a seal upon their hearts first, and then their hearing, and a cover was placed upon their seeing. 
and they especially had pain, a, a great punishment. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ Now we're moving to the third category of people. Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned in the surah the first category of people were people that have taqwa. And their taqwa was described further, the people of taqwa were described further with having certain qualities about iman, and then about spending, and then them having the conviction of the afterlife. Then the extreme opposite. There's the people who have fear of Allah and want to, want to serve Allah Azza wa Jal, and the exact opposite, those who are bent upon disbelief. Now there's a third category. So this is the third category of people that are being talked about. Allah says subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمِنَ nas. And out of the people there are those, مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ is the, is the one who says, we've come to believe in Allah. Now there's some very interesting lang- language here. You could say, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ Because nas is ism jama' you can say الَّذِينَ But man is used particularly here to say something very special. I'll highlight that in a, a little bit inshallah. From the people, there is the one who says, now when I say the one who says, what is that? That's singular, isn't it? But then it says, آمَنَّا billahi. We believe in Allah. We believe in Allah. Now, when somebody says, you would expect him to say, I believe in Allah. Because the singular is used right there, where the alternative in Arabic is available, though man can be used for the plural as well. Here specifically, Allah Azza wa Jal highlights, that he speaks, this single person is speaking, but he's speaking on behalf of a group. آمَنَّا billahi. We believe in Allah. Why? Because this is, Allah is describing the hypocrite, the munafiq. And the munafiq, one of his biggest attempts, the attempt of the hypocrite is to seem like he is one with the believers. He's from among them. So he puts himself with the group and says, we all have iman in Allah. We're all the same. Amanna billahi. Wabil And in the last day, hum bi mu'minin. And then Allah calls them out and says, they are not believers at all. And even in Arabic, again, when you say that someone is not something, there are tons of ways of saying it. But ma, coupled with ba at the end, this is one of the strongest ways to say no. In other words, Allah is saying they are not believers at all. They have no iman at all. You know, there are places in the Quran we'll find when Allah talks about the hypocrites, He says, They don't remember Allah except a little bit. Or they have a little bit of iman. But here in this surah, Allah is so harsh towards them, He says they have no iman at all, even though they say that with their tongues. Then he says, يُخَادِعُونَ Allah." They try to deceive Allah. Who's trying to deceive Allah? It is the hypocrites. يُخَادِعُونَ Allah." They're trying to deceive Allah. وَالَّذِينَ amanu, And they're trying to deceive those who believe. وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ But they're not actually deceiving anyone at all except their own selves. With their claims to be true believers and to mingle in with the crowd of the believers, Allah calls this their attempt at deception. What they really are is no different from the other category that was described, those who disbelieve, those who proclaim their disbelief. They're no different as far as Allah is concerned. And when they try to mingle in with the ranks of the believers, Allah Azza wa calls them out as being, attempting to be spies basically. They're trying to fool Allah, they're trying to fool those who believe, but they're actually not fooling anyone except their own selves. وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ And they don't even realize. They have no realization. Here it's very important that we make a very critical distinction that all Muslims should be aware of. It's a very basic thing, but sometimes it gets uh, lost in our, our conversations. There are two basic kinds of hypocrites. There are two basic kinds of hypocrites. Hypocrites that are non-Muslims, but are pretending to be Muslim. 
You could call that a spy, a double agent, whatever you want to call them, right? These are people that may be sitting in the crowd right now. They have ulterior motives. I'll give you a, an example of a munaf, a real-time example, just so you know how real this situation is. I was in uh, Chicago not too long ago. And I came from the Arabic, we had an advanced Arabic class during daytimes. So the masjid is basically empty before Dhuhr time. And I'm leaving the masjid and this guy pulls up, long beard, turban, green clothes on, slippers, the whole gear, you know. And he pulls up to me at the random guy, blonde, you know, blue eyes, long blonde hair, right. Interesting archetype. He pulls up and he goes, aren't you the guy from YouTube? And I was like, uh, I'm not sure who you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, you give those talks, right? I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's me. And we just started talking. And some brothers were going to take us out to lunch, and he wanted to jump in. And I knew something's up with this guy. You know, and my, my Arabic tutor also who was with me, he said, how the shakhs khatir? This guy's dangerous, just watch out. There's something off about this guy, you know? But the other younger brothers, they're a little more naive, so they said, no, 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 let him tag along. Yeah, you can join us for lunch, great. So he comes for lunch. Not two minutes go by, and what happens? He says, yeah, we should be proud to be calling ourselves terrorists. Allah says we terrorize disbelievers. We should take pride in that. And I know already this guy, something's up. He wants these naive teenage boys and these college students to say, yeah. And he's probably wearing a recorder on him. Some, something's up, you know. So we try to dismantle his arguments and we say, you know, brother, I don't think you're in the right state of mind. And if you speak like this, we'll have to report you to the authorities. Two minutes later, he's like, I gotta go, akhi. I gotta go. You know, and then it so happens we actually found out later on. Yes, he, and he he made mention he was sent by this masjid. He sent even this sheikh and that sheikh. We called those sheikhs. We called the masjids. Is this you know this person has no idea who this guy is. I don't know what you're talking about. And guess what we find out? He was sent by a church group, and they have people like this sent to masjid all over America nowadays. They want to catch people on secret video cameras and tape and whatnot. And he knew who I was too. They know their stuff. They do their homework. You know. And it's not like I'm that famous, but they know. But they, they do these things, and this is one kind of munafiq. They know they're not Muslim, they're trying to you know, fit in our ranks and, and get us to do ridiculous things. And you know, Muslims should be not, not naive of these things. We should be cautious and careful, and be kind of savvy about what's going on around us also. right? So that's one kind of munafiq. But then there's a second kind of munafiq, it's even more dangerous, and more scary. You know which kind of munafiq that is? The hypocrite, who doesn't even know that he or she is a hypocrite. They don't even know. They don't even realize it. They actually think they're good Muslims. They think so. And this could be any one of us. This second category is more scary because it could apply to any one of us. And this, uh, this idea was so scary even to the Sahaba. Among the Sahaba are people like Umar bin al-Khattab anhu, who's guaranteed paradise. But when the names of the hypocrites, the, the, it is known that there are certain people that Allah has told the Messenger, these are munafiqun, he's worried, is my name in that list or not? You know, he's worried because he understands that there are two different kinds of munafiq. There's the spy the, who knows he's non-Muslim, and there's the one who doesn't even realize. At the end of this ayah, Allah gives us a clue into the second kind of munafiq. They don't even realize it themselves. وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ They have no realization. They have no realization. But then how will someone know that how will you and I know first of all if we are suffering from this disease? And we will learn in the surah, Allah Azza wa says very next words, fi qulubihim marad. In their hearts there is a disease. Hypocrisy is a disease. Now if you are sick and I am sick, how are we supposed to know if we're sick unless we know the symptoms? Isn't that true? So the only way to know if you and I have the sickness is to look for 
the symptoms. Now this surah will give us some symptoms, other surahs will give us even more symptoms. So we should constantly be on the lookout for these things inside of us. When there's a serious disease out in society, like the bird flu or whatever, right, swine flu, you take any farm animal, put a flu next to it, and you come out with a new one, right? So when you do that, and they, they announce on the news that, you know, if you're sneezing too much, or if you notice a little, you know, redness in your skin or something, go see a physician, you might have a fatal disease or whatever. People start showing up to the doctor even if they're not sick. I think it's a flu. I, I think I have swine flu. I was scratching myself and it got red, and I better go to the, you know, the ER or something. Because they're terrified this might be that disease. Well, if the Muslim understands that hypocrisy, nifaq, is a serious disease, then they should be looking for those symptoms. And even if they find the slightest sign of that symptom, immediately try to address it. You understand what I'm saying? So when Allah says, فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ In their hearts there's a disease. This is a heart disease. Seriously, a heart disease. A fatal disease. فَزَادَهُمُ اللَّهُ مَرَضًا Then Allah increased them in their disease. May Allah not make us from these unfortunate people. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ And they especially have painful punishment. For disbelievers, Allah said, they have great punishment. But then Allah took a step further for hypocrites. He said they have painful punishment. Alam is the meaning of pain. And alim means constantly painful. You know something about pain, if you speak to people who are suffering from a disease that causes them pain, they develop tolerance for that pain. So their tolerance goes up. In other words, if you're being suffering the same way every day, the first day it's a lot more painful, the next day it's painful, but not as painful as the day before. By Allah using the word alim, it means the pain is the same all the time. It doesn't go down. They don't develop any tolerance to this pain. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ In other words, this punishment is worse than even the punishment mentioned for the kuffar. Even worse than them. Subhanallah. This is the punishment of the munafiq. And when we study Qur'an, we'll see when Allah talks about the punishments of munafiqun, He's the harshest. Even more harsh than He is towards kuffar. Even though He's harsh towards them. Saying they have a great punishment is a terrible thing in and of itself. But he takes the next step with munafiqun. May Allah, not, may Allah not make us from them. And understand that this surah, one of the things that's special about Surah Al-Baqarah, it deals with matters of the heart in great detail. It deals with matters of iman. And by contrast, you will find in Surah Ali Imran, in the next surah, there will be a lot of mention of Islam. So there's iman here and then Islam. First you fix what's on the inside, which is what? Iman. And then what comes out on the outside is? Islam, right? So you find in the in the Islam, Islam You find all this mention of Islam in Ali Imran. But in this surah, you'll find over and over again mention of matters of the heart. So let's keep on reading. In their hearts, there's especially in their hearts, there's a disease. Then Allah increased them in their disease. And for them especially, there is painful punishment, greatly painful punishment. Unlike the kuffar, he didn't end here. He said, بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ Because of the lies they continue to make. Because of the lies they continue to make. The first symptom of the hypocrite has been given. Which is what? They're liars. And they lie continuously. بِمَا يَكْذِبُونَ is different. بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ is different. They continuously used to lie. This is istimrar here. Right? So this is something that's a very serious sign of hypocrisy. No lie is too small. No lie is a white lie. We have to look for them. We have to be conscious of them in our, in our daily affairs. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ When it is said to them, don't cause corruption in the earth. Don't cause corruption in society. Don't be the cause of, of, of fasad. لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا What did they say in response? 
إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُصْلِحُونَ No, we're the peacemakers. We're the ones trying to reconcile. Now you have to understand the background of this ayah. You see Allah's Messenger wasallam is in this intense struggle against kufr. There's this, the truth and falsehood have collided against each other, and now it is known black from white. But these hypocrites, they have friends that are non-Muslims, and they have friends that are Muslims in Medina. They have old allegiances and they have new allegiances with the Muslims. And if they become completely aligned with the Messenger of Allah wasallam, then they have to cut off some old relationships. But they want to keep it so that they keep both sides happy. Just in case if the Muslims win, we have good connections with the Muslims. But if in case things don't work out with this messenger, and they're all killed and they die, well, we don't want to die out either. We should have at least some back door open with the kuffar also. So they go and they kind of mingle with both sides. And they don't take a clear side. They're wishy-washy about it. And so, when, and this is a kind of corruption. This Allah Azza wa calls a kind of corruption. But when you say to them, why are you causing this fasad? They say, no, we're just trying to make peace. We're just trying to reconcile between the two sides, not knowing that those who are on the other side are not interested in peace. And that's the other misconception. These people think that they're only trying to cause peace. Understand, the people on the, the, against the Messenger of Allah wasallam in Medina and in Mecca, these people are far worse and have far more animosity in their hearts than the Muslims ever had towards them. The Muslims only responded to injustices that were done to them. And even then, even if we have prisoners of war, they were treated better than even the soldiers themselves. This was the attitude of the Muslims. But inside the hearts of the enemies of Islam, there was intense hatred. Intense hatred. And they, would, I mean, they were engaged in torture and psychological abuse and all kinds of filth against the Muslims from the very beginning. But these people, because they don't want to lose allegiances on either side, they think they're peacemakers, which in reality they're not, not even close to. Ala innahum humul mufsidun. No, Allah means you should all know, beware, you know, uh, get it through your heads. These are the ones, and there's no doubt about it, these are the ones that are the cause of mischief. These are the cause of corrupt. Those people, they are the cause of corruption, the hypocrites. However, they have no realization. They don't feel it. They don't realize it at all. When it is said to them, why don't you have iman? Develop iman in your heart just like other people have iman. In other words, they're told, look, why don't you have iman like Abu Bakr? Why don't you have iman like Umar? Why don't you have iman like you know, Mus'ab ibn Umayr? Why don't you have iman like these people? What's wrong with you guys? Why can't you be more like them? Because these people, these, when we say, why don't you believe like the real people have believed? These people have believed, we're referring to people who have proven their iman who've sacrificed monies, who've sacrificed their livelihoods, who sacrificed their homes and traveled with the Messenger wasallam, abandoned everything that they had and left it behind, spent whatever they could in the cause of Islam. These people have proven that they actually have iman. They have no other motive but to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to, to show allegiance to the Messenger. When they're told, why can't you be like that? They look at those believers, those, those muhajirun, the people who have migrated from Makkah, they look at them and say, you want us to believe like that? And u'minu kama amana sufaha. You want us to believe like these fools, these idiots believe? Who are they calling fools? Man, this guy was doing good business in Makkah. He left everything and came here. You want me to be like him? You want me to be like that loser, that fool? Look at him. He doesn't even have the sense to save his house. Okay, you can believe, but you don't have to believe that much. You should sacrifice, but don't go crazy in your sacrifices. These people are too extreme. I don't want to be like them. Kama amana sufaha. 
So they called the true believers who have made all these sacrifices in their allegiance to the Messenger وسلم, they call them fools. And they don't have to respond. That's the beauty of it. The Sahaba who are being insulted in this ayah, they don't have to say, who are you calling fools? The Messenger doesn't have to say, don't call them fools, these are my beloved companions. He doesn't have to do that. You know who defends them? Allah Himself, He says, أَلَا إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ السُّفَهَا No, these people, no doubt, they are in fact the ones that are fools. They're the ones who are fools. Who's saying that? Allah is saying that. Allah comes to the defense of His Sahaba, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ And He says, وَلَكِنْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ However, they don't know. They don't even know what kind of fools they are. So in the one place Allah says before, twice He said they don't even realize it. Now He's saying they have no knowledge either. And so another element of hypocrisy is a lack of knowledge derived from this ayah. They don't realize it, and they don't have much knowledge either. They don't really know what a fool is. And later on in this surah, Allah will teach us, you want to be intelligent and leave the way of fools. Allah Azza wa Jal talking about the sacrifices of Ibrahim salam. He says in the same surah, وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِ عَنْ you know, مِلَّةِ إِبْرَاهِيمِ إِلَّا مَنْ سَفِهَا نَفْسَهُ Who will leave the legacy of Ibrahim salam except the one who fools himself? Now when Allah refers to the legacy of Ibrahim, what do you think of? Sacrifices. So those sacrifices are done by the intelligent, and whoever abandons sacrifices is the fool. So when the Sahaba are making sacrifices, they are on the legacy of Ibrahim salam, And whoever abandons that is the fool. Anyhow, he says, وَإِذَا لَقُوا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا قَالُوا آمَنَّا When they come to those who believe, they say, every time they do come, they say, we have iman. And they make sure they say it. Now believers don't have to say to each other, we have iman. It's known. <laughs> if somebody comes to you, I really believe he's the messenger of Allah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, I really have strong iman in the akhirah. When somebody says that, you say, man, that guy is weird. Why does he want to come and tell me what he believes? Belief is in the heart. We all know we're Muslims. You don't have to come and claim your case to me. You know why that when someone feels the need to do that? I'll give you a childish example. Your kid comes to you and says, I didn't, I didn't write anything on the wall, you know. What does that mean? You got a closet skeleton in the closet, you got something to hide. You're covering, you're overcompensating. The hypocrites are paranoid. They're paranoid that people see through them. Right? They see what the filth is on the inside, because they got filth inside. And when they come to the believers, when they come to the community of the Muslims, they feel like everybody can see them for who they really are. So they feel like they need to cover up more. And the way to cover up more is, I really have a lot of iman. Qalu amanna. We have iman, we're with you. You know, they go out of their way. The leader of the hypocrites, Abdullah bin Ubayd, the leader of the hypocrites, before the messenger would get up to speak, you know what he used to do? He used to stand up before him. People, this is the messenger of Allah, listen carefully. You should, you should listen to his advice, he has good things to teach you, and he'd just make a public service announcement and sit down. Why? Because he's hoping if I do that, and by the way, even if he didn't make that announcement, are the sahaba gonna listen anyway? They are, aren't they? He just needs a little bit of mic time, so people know that this guy is legitimate. You know when he walked away from Uhud? He left Uhud, right? The next week after that, the khutbah was being given, he got up again. People, this is the Messenger of Allah, listen to him carefully. Some sahaba grabbed him and sat him down. <laughs> and he was furious. He was, he was enraged, he didn't get to do his show. So he walked out of the Jum'ah. He walked out of the khutbah. And at the entrance of the khutbah, some sahaba met him. Where are you going? Turn back, make istighfar. I don't need any istighfar, he walks out. 
When he gets called out, they explode. This is what Allah's Messenger describes وسلم, as another sign of the hypocrite. When he's argued, debated, criticized, he explodes in anger. He couldn't take it, his temper exploded. He walks away from the Jum'ah. I don't care if I, now that I'm exposed, might as well go all out. You know, that was, that was the idea behind that. So anyway, here Allah Azza wa says, when they come to the believers, they make tall claims. And when they go back to their devils, now it's not like they're meeting jinns in the background. Who are they meeting? They're meeting the enemies of Islam that are plotting against Allah's Messenger, but they're making friends with them anyway, and sharing Muslim secrets with them. This will become more elaborated in Surah Ali Imran when Allah says, لا تتخذوا بطانة من دونكم لا يألونكم خبالاً ودوا ما عنتم Don't take secret keepers, close intimate friends other than Muslims. Don't make those friends like that other than Muslims. Really close friends that you share secrets with. They will not leave any stone unturned in trying to cause you harm. وَدُّوا مَا عَنِتُّمْ They want what would harm you. قَدْ بَدَتِ الْبَغْضَاءُ مِنْ أَفْوَاهِهِمْ The animosity has already come out of their mouths. وَمَا تُخْفِي صُدُورُهُمْ أَكْبَرُ And what they're hiding in their hearts is even bigger. What they say out of their mouths is nasty. But you don't even know what they haven't said yet. Allah knows that too and that's even worse. So don't think that they're there to make peace. They're just using you as a pawn and these people are getting used. But when they go to them, they say, إِنَّا مَعَكُمْ إِنَّا نَحْنُ مُسْتَهْزِئُونَ We're with you guys for sure. We were just kidding. When we went to the Muslims and said we believe like they believe, we were just kidding. We're, we're really with you. We're chummy with you guys. So they're trying to keep both sides happy. You see that? This is by the way, incredible. The Arabic language is so beautiful in this. The word munafiq comes from the word nafaqa which is a lizard's hole. And a lizard in the desert lizard, it makes a hole that has two entrances. So if the, 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 the hounds or the fox is coming after it from one hole, it can come out the other hole. If it comes out this hole, it can come out the other hole. From that we get, get the word munafiq. If the Muslims are in trouble, he can always have the open door with the kuffar. And if the kuffar are losing, he always, he can say, ah, I'm a believer right here, amanna. Right, so he's got both exits open. So this, this is the, the nature of the munafiq. Allah says, and so He says, we were just kidding. We're not really with those Muslims. You think we're crazy like that? No. Allahu yastahzi'u bihim. It is Allah who is making fun of them. And there's a lot of isharat in this, uh, this part of the ayah. One of them of course is Allah will humiliate them on judgment day. But even now, this pathetic attitude is Allah's way of humiliating them. They have no respect. They have no, the Muslim community doesn't respect them. The kuffar don't respect them. Even they see them as weasels. They don't respect them either. Nobody, they have no respect and they are the object of ridicule everywhere they turn. And this is Allah's way of humiliating these people. Allahu yastahzi'u bihim. وَيَمُدُّهُمْ فِي طُغْيَانِهِمْ يَعْمَهُونَ And he, lets, he extends them. Very powerful words. He extends them in their rebellion. And allows them to remain blind. Now there's amiya in Arabic. Amiya. Which means to be blind in the eyes. Then there's amiha. To be blind in the heart. Allah says, وَيَمُدُّهُمْ فِي تُغْيَانِهِمْ يَعْمَهُونَ He extends them in their rebellion, blind of the heart. Now what does that mean? It means they, want, they disobey Allah, they violate Allah's commandments, Allah gives them more opportunities to violate even more commandments, and more opportunities to disobey Him even more. In other words, in, in other, rather than restricting the opportunities for evil deeds, Allah opens the door to evil deeds wide open for them, go ahead, knock yourself out. Go ahead, dig your hole even deeper if you will. When my teacher, Dr. Abdul Sami, was explaining this ayah to me, he said something really interesting. He gave a really interesting parable, I'll give it to you. He says, you have a wild dog. You're trying to calm this dog down, it doesn't calm down. 
You try to put it on a leash, it's constantly pulling at the leash. So the owner decides that he's going to punish this dog. So you know what he does? He gives him a 300 foot leash. When the dog tries to pull, now it's, it's free to run. So it runs as fast as it can. And the dog is thinking, this is an look, I'm free. Nothing happened to me, I'm good. But actually this is a punishment. Why is this a punishment? Because when he reaches top speed, what's going to happen? <laughs> He's going to get yanked. The pull is going to be even harder. The, the more they dig their... Allah says, you want to dig your hole? You know what? Let me have you dig it a little deeper for yourself. وَيَمُدُّهُمْ فِي طُغْيَانِهِمْ يَعْمَهُونَ And literally dig it as deep as you possibly can because Allah will tell us later on in Qur'an, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ Hypocrites are in the lowest pit of the hellfire. How do you think they got that low? They dug it themselves. وَيَمُدُّهُمْ فِي طُغْيَانِهِمْ يَعْمَهُونَ اللَّهُمَّ لَا تَجْعَلَّ مِنْهُمْ أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرَوُ الضَّلَالَةَ بِالْهُدَىٰ These are the people who purchased misguidance in exchange for guidance. They had something so beautiful that they got. The vast majority of humanity does not get the gift that these people had. The company of Allah's Messenger. What more could you ask for? They got to hear the kalam of Allah from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa How much more of a gift can you get? And they exchanged that for their misguidance. They, they traded that away. Then their trade did not give them any benefit at all. This ayah often gets translated in a shallow way. It, most translations say, and they weren't guided, or they had never been guided. But actually, muhtad is someone who makes an effort to be guided. And Allah is saying they never made an effort to, to, to commit to guidance. They were never such. This is why they ended up in this case. Even when they entered Islam, it was a casual endeavor. And when you come into something casually, you can walk out of it casually too. When you make a serious commitment to enter into something, it's very hard for you to come out of it. But they, they came into this Islam on a bed of roses, very easy. Islam's on the rise, Medina is becoming more and more powerful. The followers of the Messenger are gaining more and more control. This seems like an easy thing to join. So they joined it. But they joined it with a lot of ease. There was no difficulty for them to join it. They, 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 no commitment was tested. So Allah says, وَمَا كَانُوا مُهْتَدِينَ They were not committed to guidance at all. مَثَلُهُمْ And we'll, we'll end with these two parables inshaAllah. Very, really beautiful parables of two degrees of nifaq. Two degrees of hypocrisy Allah compares with these parables. مَثَلُهُمْ Their example. كَمَثَلِ الَّذِي اسْتَوْقَدَ نَارًا Is the example of, of someone who lit a fire. Someone who lights a fire. Now, I want you to understand the examples in the Qur'an, you cannot appreciate them until you imagine the scene Allah wants you to... to de he depicts scenes. Very picturesque scene. So it's pitch black, and somebody lit a fire. Then he says, فَلَمَّا أَضَاءَتْ مَا حَوْلَهُ When everything around him was, was brilliant with light. It was lit up. He lit this fire, the fire kindled, and the black around him started disappearing. Now there's light all around him. How many people lit a fire? One. Singular. One person. Now listen. Allah took their light away. Their light away. In other words, now Allah is talking about another group of people. It's not the same person. This is actually the one who lights the fire. This is the picture given of a messenger of Allah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Or even some ulama commented, this is talking about Musa because Bani Israel is coming later on. So he lights a fire. He gives the, the light of guidance to his community who were in darkness. So now they can see. Before this, they were begging for guidance. They were looking for a way. They, had no, they were in darkness. And now finally they can see. 
But even when they saw the right way to go, they, they didn't benefit from this light. So what did Allah do? ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ Allah removed their light. Allah, so they're no longer able to see their light. And some ulama commented here in this ayah, nur actually means their absar. That they, their, their ability to see, their own light, meaning the ayn is also in, in Arabic poetry, nur, one of the meanings of nur is your eyes. Because your eyes are the means by which you can appreciate light. So ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ means their ability to appreciate light even. Their eyes were gone. In other words, now that the light's turned on, you're blind. What benefit is the light turning on now? You yourself are incapable of benefiting from the light. These are people who were, had access to guidance, who were exposed to the light, didn't want to benefit from it. When you don't want to benefit from this light, the punishment of Allah wasn't just that the light would be taken away. No, that would be unfair to others who might come. Rather, your light is taken away. And he left him in shades of darkness. Now, vulma, vulumat, shades of darkness. So, some people are in a degree of hypocrisy, some even more, some even more, some even more. There are different degrees of hypocrisy. They're not able to see. Then he says, summun, bukmun, umyun. Now, the, the translation is deaf, mute, and blind. I'm not going to say dumb, that's politically incorrect. Okay, so deaf, mute, and blind. Deaf, of course, not able to hear. Mute, not able to speak. Umi, not able to see. These are plurals, all three of them. But there's no and in between them. In other words, he doesn't say they're deaf and mute and blind. There's no atuf in between. You know what that means? They're all three at the same time. Now, can you imagine? It's, there's, a, there's a fire, there, there's a light there, but these people are three things. They're deaf, they're mute, and they're blind in the middle of the desert, in the pitch black, What's the harm of being deaf? If somebody says, okay, you can't see the light, come over here. Can they hear that? No, they're not able to benefit from, they're, they're, they're listening, they're deaf. Then, okay, I can't see and I can't hear, maybe I can call out for help. But they can't call out for help because they are mute. They're mute. Okay, no, I can't hear anybody giving me guidance, I can't even ask for it because I'm mute. Maybe at least I can see them, but now umyun. They're blind, in other words, all access to guidance is stopped. All access to guidance is stopped. I mean, imagine that scene. If you're in the pitch black, you can't see anything, you can't hear anything, at least you would be able to call out for help, they can't even do that. All three roads to access to guidance have been taken away. Summun, bukmun, umyun, fahum la yarji'un. Then they're not going to be able to return. And here, in this remarkable ayah, when Allah says, لَا Again, subtle precision in the Qur'an. These people had light, right? So they were in the place they're supposed to be. Then their light went away. So they went off. When Allah says they can't come back, come back to what? Come back to what they had to begin with. They were where they were supposed to be. So their starting point was good. Then they went bad. That's the nature of the hypocrite. They, these hypocrites, especially the ones who don't realize they're hypocrites, they may have come for good reasons, but they didn't have the moral will or the strength of character to hold on to this faith the way they should. So they're not able to come back. فَهُمْ لَا يَرْجِعُونَ مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ Now, the second example. This was the first example. The second example, another kind of hypo- hypocrisy, nifaq. أَوْكَ صَيِّبٍ مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ Or picture a dark cloud in the sky. فِيهِ ظُلُمَاتٌ In it there's a lot of darkness. وَرَعْدٌ وَبَرْقٌ And there is thunder and lightning inside that, that, that cloud. Now, I, we don't see that much you know, heavy dark clouds in like Texas area. If you go places like Georgia or you go to like 
uh, more towards the East Coast, like Virginia area, the clouds come real low. And you know, it can become like pitch black almost even during the daytime. It gets, gets pretty scary. These dark, dark, dark clouds. Now this intense, this rain is going on, nighttime, heavy, heavy clouds, and this thunder and lightning is taking place. Now these people are stranded. There's a bunch of people stranded in this scene. Now imagine this scene. He says, يَجْعَلُونَ أَصَابِعَهُمْ فِي آذَانِهِمْ They place their fingers in their ears. مِنَ الصَّوَاعِقِ Because of the loud explosions. The sky thunders. You know, even nowadays when sometimes there's thunder, our children wake up and start crying. Even you like jump out of bed like, what, what was that? You know? Now they're traveling and they hear loud sounds. You know, and they immediately get rattled. So they don't want to hear those sounds. So what do they do? They stick their fingers in their ears. Hadar al maut out of fear of death, being cautious of death, being wary of death. What does this parable mean? That's what we're going to conclude with, inshallah ta'ala. Before we say, Wallahu muhiyyatun bil kafirin. Allah is com- has completely encircled disbelievers. The passage was about munafiqun. The, pa- the discussion was about people who say they believe, but they don't have iman. But Allah ends, Wallahu muhiyyatun bil, not, walam yakul munafiqin, qal al kafirin. Wallahu muhiyyatun bil kafirin. Allah has encircled those who have kufr. Because Allah knows what's inside. Allah knows what's inside. What's inside is kufr as far as Allah is concerned. But I want to just share with you the benefits of this scene that Allah has drawn. And what some ulama have to say about this scene that has been given. What they essentially have to say, so you can understand the next, the completion of this parable, is that they are in this difficult journey. The idea is they're in a very difficult journey. And in this journey, there are scary things happening. What are the scary things? This, the, 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 the climate is getting darker, right? And there's thunder and lightning, which is scary. This is describing the journey one takes into Islam. When someone takes a journey into Islam, it's not an easy journey. It's going to be filled with difficulties and challenges. Now, these people are so scared of the challenges, what do they do? They pretend those challenges aren't there. They pretend that they don't have any responsibilities. Now, let's see what else they do. Allah Azza wa Jal says, يَكَادُ الْبَرْقُ يَخْطَفُ أَبْصَارَهُمْ The lightning almost takes their eyesight away. So the imagery of your eyesight being removed is being repeated. The previous parable also had it, this one also had it. When the lightning comes, their eyes are almost blinded. You know, they can stick their fingers in their ears, but that still doesn't mean they can ignore other aspects of the climate. They will still see something. This is mentioning that, you know, uh, even if they don't listen to the message of Islam, even if they refuse to listen to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, there will be situations that occur in the life of the messenger and in the career of the believers that they'll have to face. They will have to face them. And those situations are so intense for them, they almost lose their faith altogether, their ability to see the truth altogether. يَخْطَفُوا أَبْصَارَهُمْ كُلَّمَا أَضَاءَ لَهُمْ مَشَوْفِيهِ Then every time the, the light comes out for them, meaning a little bit of lightning strikes, they can see. So they start walking. وَإِذَا أَظْلَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ قَامُوا And whenever it gets dark again, they stand. Ulama comment about this part of the ayah, this refers to some commandments that they find easy. When a little bit of a road is seen, when there's a little bit opportunity to move forward, go along with the believers, they'll go forward. But when times get tough again, they're standing, it's too dark, I can't move forward. Too scary for me. I'll just stick my fingers in my ear. And this by the way, 
understand the, the perp, one of the purposes of this scene. If you're in the middle of a dark night and it's thunder and you have to travel and get somewhere, is it a logical attitude to stick your fingers in your ear just so you, you'll be safe? It's an idiotic thing to do, right? By means of this parable, Allah is calling out the stupidity of, of hypocrisy. He's calling it a stupid attitude. It is not something based in reason or in intellect. Even though the, the hypocrites are very confident in their knowledge and in their understanding, they're the ones that are fools. And Allah said that they are fools a few ayat ago, didn't He? Now He's explaining to us some of the aspects of their foolish behavior. Right? So here He says then, concluding, وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَذَهَبَ بِسَمْعِهِمْ وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ If Allah wanted, He would remove their hearing and their seeing also. In other words, the previous group, what did Allah take away from them? You remember? Their seeing was gone, their hearing was gone, right? Their speaking was gone. Allah says, these people, at least they're following a little bit. When the lightning strikes, at least they move a little bit. So they're not completely immersed in nifaq yet, hypocrisy yet. They still have some hope. But if Allah wants, and if they continue this way, then Allah will remove their hearing, their hearing and they'll become like the previous group also. But they still, these people still have hope. In other words, when the believer who has weak iman, like, like myself and you, if we have weak iman inside us and we hear this ayah, we say, we better change our behavior before Allah decides the worst case scenario, right? وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَذَهَبَ بِسَمْعِهِمْ وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ No doubt Allah is completely capable over all things. Now the concluding ayah. Three groups have been talked about. The believers were talked about briefly. The kuffar were talked about briefly. Then the munafiqun were talked about at length. At length. Why? Because the believer is very clear category. The disbeliever, very clear category, wears a sticker on his head, kafir. You know? I've had a... One of the, when we were moving to Texas, one of the guys that was on the delivery truck for our car was wearing a t-shirt, said kafir on it. An infidel. <laughs> Even though we don't use that translation. But they do. Proud to be kafir, right? So he's, he's not hiding it. He's not hiding, it's clear cut case. I was like, at least I know who you are now. <laughs> you know, no mystery there. But the munafiq is a difficult category to figure out. You don't know, I don't know where I stand, you don't know where you stand. And we don't know where the person next to us stands, we don't know. And there's no reason for us to judge either. So Allah spends extra time on the case that is difficult. Extra time on that case. And then you'll notice after this introductory passage, we'll discuss a lot about Bani Israel. Why? Because they had the problem not of iman and kufr. Their real problem was nifaq, hypocrisy. Learn from their mistakes so you don't make the same mistake. That's why Allah will give us detailed accounts, detailed accounts of the, of the life of Bani Israel. But concluding with all these three groups, all three groups all together make humanity all together. Humanity is either believers or disbelievers or hypocrites. So now at the end of this passage, it's time to address all of them all together. And a final invitation. Ya ayyuhan nas People, all people, listen up U'budu rabbakum Enslave yourselves And worship your, the master of all of you Enslave yourselves to your master U'budu rabbakum this is, If somebody asks you what's the summary of the Qur'an This is the summary of the Qur'an Iyaka na'budu Accept yourself as slave, accept Allah as master You've got the summary of the Qur'an U'budu rabbakum Alladhi khalaqakum Walladhina min qablikum The one who created you and the one who created those who came much before you. Enslave yourself to him. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you all... Now here, taqwa means something else. Taqwa doesn't just mean you can be fearful. 
Here it means so you can protect yourselves. The word taqwa in the Qur'an is also used in the meaning of protecting yourselves. Like on the Day of Judgment, Allah says, وَكَيْفَ تَتَّقُونَ إِنْ كَفَرْتُمْ يَوْمَ يَجْعَلُ الْوِلْدَانَ شِيبَ How will you protect yourself on a day when you know, the young person is going to become gray hair? The, the, the baby will grow gray hair out of grief. How are you going to protect yourself on that day? The taqun is used in that ayah. Here Allah says, enslave yourselves to your master so you can protect yourselves. This, the Qur'an begins, Baqarah begins, Allah Azza wa says, guidance for who? For people who have taqwa, people who actually protect themselves, who want to protect themselves, who take precaution. Allah says, you should become enslaved to Allah, so you can gain this quality of taqwa. You can be of those who protect yourselves. May Allah make us of those who protect themselves, who have the quality of taqwa. May Allah overlook our mistakes, and remove the disease of hypocrisy from our hearts, and keep our iman strong, and help each other build love for each other, and love for this deen, and love for this book, and love for His Messenger so Allah Azza wa goes on and paints this, this, this scenery before us, which is kind of Makkah in nature. The one who placed it for your service. The word ja'ala as opposed to khalaqa. Arabic students should notice here. The previous ayah was khalaqa. But now he says ja'ala. Ja'ala in kanat bi ma'na awjad fahamala imtinan. Ja'ala with lam is used as a favor. Who furnished for you. For provide, the one who provided for you who went out of his way to facilitate for you the earth uh, uh, as a firash. Firash actually means farashahu basatahu, something that's laid down, something that is soft, something that is easy to walk on. He didn't make the earth boiling hot. You know, there are other planets, their, their, their surface temperature is so hot that if you walk on it, even with whatever protective gear, the protective gear will melt. The earth is not so soft that you put your foot in it and your foot sinks inside. The earth is not so jagged that if you, if you stepped on it, it would cut you and you know, pierce through your whatever clothes or shoes or whatever you know, protection you're wearing. Allah made this earth easy to tread, easy to sleep on. Firashan. And then the other meanings of it is لَمْ يَجْعَلْنَا حُزْنَةً أَوْ حَزْنَةً غَلِيظَةً لَا يُمْكِنُ الْإِسْتِقْرَارَ عَلَيْهَا He didn't make the earth such that you couldn't live on it. As a matter of fact, firash is the imagery of a bed. You know, like uh, um, back in the day, people didn't have high beds. They just rolled out a mat and slept. That's firash, actually. And the idea is the entire earth was made like your bedroom. You could just set up camp anywhere. And nobody appreciated that more than the desert Arabs, man. Because they'd be traveling and they didn't wait for like a Holiday Inn or a Sheraton or a Hilton. They're like, oh, time to sleep. Lay it out and fall asleep. جَعَلَ لَكُمُ الْأَرْضَ فِرَاشًا And you know, you lie down and you want to be in a hotel that's got high ceiling or nice lobby. وَالسَّمَاءَ بِنَاءً And he made your ceiling, your roof, your cons- the construct above you, the sky. He made the entire world into a living space for you. This is actually the image of for, for, for the Bedouin that's, that's furthered for all of us that the entire earth is like a home. More than a home, it's like a bedroom. It's like a place for you to rest. And then moreover, not only is this a place for you to get rest, you know the two comforts in human life are sleep and food. The two major comforts. So the first image is that of the comfort of sleep. Firashan wa bina'an. Okay? The second image, when you go further, is wa anzala minasamai ma'an. And he sent water down from the sky. And he brought out by means of that water all kinds of fruit. Notice he didn't say habban here. He didn't bring out grass. 
He didn't bring out abban, you know. He didn't bring out grains and crop. He mentioned what exactly? Fruit. The sweetest of what you can eat from the earth. The tastiest of what you can eat on the earth. The most beautiful of what you can eat on the earth. The colors of fruits, the wrappings of fruits, the tastes, the tastes of fruits, the shapes of fruits, the smells of fruits, the beauty of fruits, you know. And so Allah Azza wa is reminding the human being, how comfortable I've made your living for you, that you can rest on this earth, and how beautiful the sustenance I've provided for you. When I used to teach Surah Al-Rahman repeatedly back in the day, I used to talk about how, you know, there's a friend of mine who was hospitalized because he had stomach problems. For six months, he couldn't eat solid food. So they had to put a drip in him for two months, and finally he was able to drink liquids. So they would take proteins, carbs, whatever essential food he needs, a nasty, nasty shake. And he would just, that was breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a few months until he could handle actually eating solid food, you know. And one day I went to visit him and he said, you want to try some? I'm like, yeah. So I had a sip. I was like, is this for an oil change or a human being? Like, how do you? <laughs> but you know, the, the guy who's having this all day, is he surviving? He is. It tastes disgusting. I mean, it makes you want to like croak, but he's surviving, right? In other words, Allah didn't have to make food delicious for us to survive. Allah didn't have to make food look good for us to survive. Our food could have looked like cockroaches for all we care. So long as it's got the right ingredients, we'll eat it. And, and animals don't, you know, they don't need a nice plate and fork and knife on the side and ketchup. And they just eat off the ground, you know. We have, Allah Azza wa gave us these incredible wrappings of food and He put them on these beautiful trees, you know. The image, even the image of a, of a tree with fruit on it, it's such a beautiful image. You know, palm trees. Everybody thinks of palm trees in like California, wow. You know, expensive vacation. Dates could have been, you know, they didn't have to grow on palm trees. They could be like this hideous thing. But subhanAllah, every gift, every fruit with its own wrapping, its own texture, its own nature, you know. And Allah Azza wa Jal did all of this for you. as provision for you. In other words, He didn't just give you the bare minimum in this world. The point I'm making is, He didn't just give you the bare minimum. He went out of His way to provide you beauty, to provide you taste, to provide you joy. Then don't put competitors. Don't furnish competitors for Allah. Don't put in place andad, nid actually they say, there are several meanings, but the, the meaning associated with this is al-mathal wal-nadir, wal-shibh, wal-did. They say that uh, nid is someone who's equivalent to somebody, an alternative to somebody, or a competitor to somebody. Actually, tandid in Arabic means raf'u saw to raise your voice against somebody. Nadahu bishad actually means to expose somebody's flaws. The meaning here is not just don't put competitors with Allah. Don't put anything with Allah that raises a voice before Allah, that challenges God. Don't live your life in, in opposition to Him. Don't put things in your life that challenge him, you know. And you you well you're the ones that well know. You are so knowledgeable that you are doing this yourselves. Now this idea of nid, it will come later on. Allah talks about these competitors elsewhere too. As a matter of fact, even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa one time um, 
a man came to him, a sahaba, a Bedouin came to him, not very well trained in Islam yet. And he said to Rasulullah, MashaAllahu wa mashaita. Yeah, whatever Allah wants and whatever you want. Rasulullah got offended. Have you made me a competitor to Allah? When it comes to the will, the will of only and only Allah works. You don't put Allah's will and my will together. You don't say, MashaAllahu wa mashaita. That would be a nid. But for us, what are the andad? What are these competitors? I already tried to paint a picture that our primary relationship with Allah is that of Rabb and Abd. And the fundamental within that relationship is love. So the first kinds of andad that people set, competitors that people set with God, with Allah, are things they love. Sometimes money becomes a competitor to Allah. Sometimes greed becomes a competitor to Allah. Sometimes lust becomes a competitor to Allah. Sometimes your love of fame becomes a competitor to Allah. A love of self-worth becomes a, your pride can become a competitor to, to Allah. Sometimes your family can become a competitor to, to Allah when you're willing to disobey Allah and obey your family. They can become a competitor to Allah. You know? And so these competitors that live inside of our heart, Allah is calling upon those by first telling you, look, look at the fruits I've given you. Look at the food I've given you. Look at the sustenance I've given you. And now think why you, should have, why you shouldn't have competitors before Allah. وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ And you well know. And this ilm is not ilm al-wahi. Ilm sometimes is knowledge of revelation, knowledge of previous scripture, knowledge of language, knowledge of ahkam. But in this ayah, it's knowledge of what God has done for you and how little you acknowledge it. You know it. Look deep down inside you, you already know what Allah has done for you. And so now after this istidlal, it's called istidlal in Arabic, to make you think of the proofs of why you should turn towards Allah. Who didn't just make you, He made you with so much love as a Rabb. That's why you should turn to Allah. Then he talks about his revelation. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem Wa in kuntum fi raybim mimma nazzalna ala abdina fa'atu bi suratim min mithlih Wad'u shuhada'akum min dunillahi in kuntum sadiqeen رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَاحْلُلْ عُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى سَيِّدِ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ وَالْمُرْسَلِينَ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ وَمَنْ اسْتَنَّ بِسُنَّتِهِ إِلَى يَوْمِ الدِّينِ ثُمَّ أَمَّا بَعْدُ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ وَإِنْ كُنْتُمْ فِي رَيْبٍ مِمَّا نَزَّلْنَا عَلَى عَبْدِنَا this is the ayah we and if in fact you all of you or any of you are in any doubt whatsoever in regards to what we have sent down upon our slave fa'tu bi suratin then bring a surah, mim mithlihi, that is anything like it. At this time, he's not challenging people. He didn't begin with the challenge to produce a surah. That's not how the da'wah began. And after 10 years of calling people to justice, calling people to tawheed, calling people to be grateful, and not to kill their baby daughters, and not to cheat people in business, and not to push the orphan around, this is what Makki Qur'an is full of. And to believe that you'll be resurrected, that you've been created for a purpose. These were the things Allah's Messenger calls towards in Makki Qur'an. And after 10 years of not listening, when they have no arguments after this, and they're still rejecting the message, as a final resort, you know what? If you really think this is the word of an insane person, or this is magic, this is something other than the word of Allah, because they came up with all these other explanations, right? He copied it from the Christians and Jews, he's, an, he's insane, Ma'adullah, he's a liar, he's making this up. He's plagiarizing it. 
you know, they, these are old stories he's learning, etc. All these theories they came out with, in the end, the final verdict of Allah is, you know what, if you really think that's the case, how about this? How about you produce a surah like this one? Now you have to understand what, what that means. The first point I want to make is, da'wah does not begin with this, da'wah ends with this. For a lot of us nowadays, you know what happens? Our da'wah doesn't, begin, doesn't end with this, it begins with this. So you know you have like this Islam Awareness Week at some college, and these student, young Muslim students have these pamphlets out about the miracles of the Qur'an and things like that. And some random guy walks by and says, hey, that's interesting, what's this, Islam? And the guy, you know, the young brother is a little overzealous in giving da'wah, hey, you know, you're not Muslim, why don't you produce a surah? <laughs> the guy's like, I don't know, what's a surah, man? I don't know what you're talking about. I just saw the sign for free food, so I came, but I don't know what a surah is. And then even if somebody's interested in Islam and they say, I'm not so convinced, you say, oh yeah, if you're not convinced, bring a surah like it. Look, the Qur'an says produce a surah. No, that's not how da'wah works. That's not what Allah is saying. This was said to a group of people that were adamant, that were completely obnoxious, and they had exhibited no more interest after the best da'wah was given to them, not once or twice, for over a decade. Now you know what? Go ahead, bring your own surah. Bring your own surah. But then I want you to appreciate at least what this, what, how, why the Quraysh are stumped. And why the people, of, you know, the people of the book also, they're stumped. They have no idea how to come up with a surah. They don't know. By the way, in 1998, I think it was, Georgetown University published a surah. A group of students that were PhD students, and they call it Islamic studies program, it's really un-Islamic studies. Right? They, they, they have this program, and the Arabic program, and as a class project, they made a surah. And they put it up back on the day of GeoCities, right? So we got a surah. It was called Suratul, I think it was called Suratul Muslim. They named it. And it's got the, the Uthmani script and it, you know, it rhymes and stuff. And if you don't know Arabic, you read it like, oh my God, they done did it. <laughs> you know? But you, you'd be surprised. It's idiotic, these attempts. They're really, they're laughable, these attempts. Now, I'll just give you a clue of what Allah says when, you, when He says produce a surah like it. You see, like, let me give you the example of Tufayl ibn Amr al-Dawsi. Tufayl was the leader of his tribe. He didn't live in Mecca. He was from another tribe. His, he had heard about this messenger in Mecca. But he didn't know anything more. He just knew there's a guy. He's, call, he's claiming to be a messenger. People have started believing in him. It's causing a lot of trouble, I heard. Now, his tribe also had idols in Mecca. So if they want to do hajj from any tribe in Arabia, they come to Mecca. So he's coming to Mecca and he's the leader of his tribe. So the Quraysh came out at the outskirts. The exits of Mecca. They stopped them there. They said, Tufail, you're an important person. Don't come to Mecca nowadays. There's a man in there. He's got magic in his words. We don't want you to get infected. We don't want you to get influenced because you're, important. you're an important person. You're important to your people. It's better you leave this time. Just come back later on. Because they didn't want him to come in contact with the Messenger of Allah wasallam. Okay, he says, you know, first he thought, maybe I should just go. He said, no, I came all this way, at least let me pay the visit, pay a visit to Allah's house, and then I'll go. They said, fine, if you want to come so badly, here's some cork, plug your ears. <laughs> if you see this man, they describe the Rasul Wasallam. if you see him, if you hear those words, you'll know those words. They're very powerful. What you do is you put this cork in your ears and you run. So he takes the cork from them, and he goes into Mecca. And he sees the Messenger when he goes to the Haram, he sees the Messenger reciting Qur'an He hears a little bit of it, he says, this has got to be it. So he plugs his ears and he starts making a run for it. And halfway making a dash, he stops himself and he says, why do I have to run? I am the leader of my tribe. I am one of the best poets in Arabia. 
I'm the master of language. I don't have to run from these words. So he unplugs his ears. And he comes back to listen to Allah's Messenger And he takes shahada and then tells, narrates the story himself. They knew the power of this Qur'an. That one of the worst enemies of Islam, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah. Worst enemies of Islam. This was like, if this guy was alive today, he would be a commentator on Fox. <laughs> right? This is, this is what this guy is. He was the expert debater. His job is not just to debate people, but to humiliate them when he debates with them. When they couldn't come up with any answers for this Qur'an, they told Utbah, why don't you go debate with Muhammad? They don't say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we do, right? Why don't you go debate with him? We're tired of this. You're the guy, we think you can handle him. We'll watch from a distance. So they're watching like a stadium game from a distance, what's gonna happen between him and Allah's Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He comes to the Messenger of Allah, very insulting. He comes and starts barking like a dog. What do you want? You want women? You want, you want property? You want leadership? You want money? What is it that you want? I'm here to take any of your demands. And he's going on like this in such an you know, indignified fashion to the Messenger And the Messenger is listening very patiently. He's listening. And at the end of his barking, he said, You done? The father of Walid, are you finished? Can I start now? And he says, yes, go ahead. So the Messenger starts reciting from Surah Fussilat. And when he starts reciting, Utbah, their, their pit bull, their, 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 you know, their bulldog, starts crying. And he starts crying and he starts trying to grab the mouth of Allah's Messenger. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, no more. He can't take any more of Qur'an. And then when he, when the Messenger finished reciting Sallallahu and he went into sajda, and he came back to the Quraysh, the Quraysh are watching from a distance, they don't know what's going on. When he comes, they come back, when he comes back, they, they say to him, your face is not the face you left with, this is some other face, what happened to you? It's like your face got rearranged. He says, I don't know who that, what that is, it's not magic, but I know something, it's gonna be a huge thing. <laughs> سَيَكُونُ نَبَعًا عَظِيبًا It's gonna be a huge event. This is gonna, this, whatever that man has to say is gonna happen. <laughs> That's gonna happen. And they said, oh, he got you too, سَحَرَك He did magic to you too. And he said, say what you will, I'm not messing with him anymore. He walked away. <laughs> he couldn't take it. So when Allah says, bring a surah like it, why don't you bring someone that stumps the best of you like, it, like this Qur'an does? That you have no response to whatsoever. And finally, I tell you in this last minute, one of the last accusations against the Qur'an was that it's magic. This is one of the final accusations in the series of accusations. First it was he's insane, then he's a liar, then this and that and the other. And one of the last ones was, <coughs> it is magic. It was the universal press release from Quraysh. Everybody should just call it magic. Now you tell me, is magic something you hear or magic something you see? You see. Magic is something amazing that you see. You know, some guy is floating in the air, you call it magic. You know, the, the water parts, you might call that magic. A staff turns into snake, you might call that magic. But the, the messenger is not producing any trickery. All he has is what? Words. But these words have such an impact on the one listening to it, they say these words must have magic in them. In other words, by calling it magic, they already acknowledge the overwhelming power of the Qur'an. Now think about that. You and I are gonna stand in salah right now and listen to Allah's word. We're going to listen to the words that the enemies of Islam, those who hated Allah's Messenger, when they heard it, they would start crying. When they heard it, they would be overwhelmed. When they heard it, they would say, this is this got magical power. And yet here we are standing and we're wondering, man, when is Rukur coming? SubhanAllah. May Allah give us khushu'ah and salah and give us the ability to enjoy the, each and every ayah that is recited. And may Allah grant all of us acceptance in every one of our prayers. This is the part we didn't discuss yesterday. And call on your witnesses.
the witnesses all of you have any besides Allah? A couple of things in this portion of the ayah. The first of them is, there is mahara, expertise. Allah did not say bring your experts, He said bring your witnesses. This changes the, uh, it expands the, the meaning of the text. One of the things it does is it includes those false gods that they worshipped, and they were calling on them as witnesses to the truth. So Allah is basically making a mockery. These things are your truth, why don't you bring them as witness? So it's a kind of mockery of their false beliefs. The other thing that happens here is for them, the ultimate, uh, the, the witness of truth was the highest form of speech. In other words, the poet, the eloquent speaker, these were the leaders of the society because of their expert uh, knowledge of the language. So you have people that can testify to whether something is, you know, the word of insanity or it's the highest form of eloquence. You have those experts, and the, a term for experts used in ancient Arabic is witnesses, because they testify to whether or not something is legit or not. So they're doing the testimony, they're the certifiers. So Allah says, why don't you bring forward your, the highest form of your testifiers? And they, try, they tried this already. For instance, Walid ibn Mughira, and the Qur'an dedicates a passage even, to his you know, experience with the Qur'an and how he has to come up with an explanation, this, this isn't poetry. I know poetry, this ain't it. Okay, this is absolutely not insanity. If we call it insanity or the word of a madman, then we're gonna negate our own selves. It's gonna invalidate our own claims. So what can we come up with? Well, how about this one? Just, let's just call it magic. It causes separation between father and son. In other words, let's create hysteria about this Qur'an so that people avoid listening to it because they're afraid of magic like they would be afraid of a sickness or an ep- epidemic or something like that. So anyway, Allah says, وَدْعُوشُهَدَاكُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Bring forward your witnesses, if in fact you are, as opposed to Allah, other than Allah, any other than Allah, if in fact you're truthful. And here again, something very subtle in the Arabic of the Qur'an that doesn't come out in the English translation. The word غَيْرَ in Arabic means other than. So if you say, وَدْعُوشُهَدَاكُمْ غَيْرَ اللَّهِ Bring your witnesses other than Allah. That meaning is the same. But dun, dawwana in Arabic is to be inferior. So here when Allah says other than Allah, He's actually kind of pointing to the fact that whoever you call is going to be inferior to Allah anyway. How are you going to bring a witness that's going to compete with the word of Allah? وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا Allah is enough Himself as a witness. Then He says, فَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلُوا If in fact you haven't been able to do so thus far. Lam refers to the past. So if you hadn't been able to do so, acknowledging that this, this entire span of the life of the Messenger ﷺ, unsuccessful attempts have been made, nothing has been brought forward that can compete with this Qur'an. وَلَن تَفْعَلُوا And then, so first there's a commentary about what's gone on so far, and now he says, and you won't be able to do so. So he not only comments on their failure in the past, but openly challenges them, guarantees them, you won't be able to do so. وَلَن تَفْعَلُوا فَاتَّقُوا النَّارِ الَّتِي وَقُودُهَا النَّاسُ وَالْحِجَارَةِ Then protect yourselves, be cautious of, be fearful of the fire. This is also very beautiful and subtle. The Qur'an began, this surah began with people of taqwa. But taqwa of who? Of Allah. But it's, it's clearly been demonstrated that these people, these people at the point of no return, have no fear of Allah. So now they can't be invited to the fear of Allah anymore. What are they invited to? If you can't fear Allah, then you know what? Why don't you go and try to protect yourselves from the fire? There, here also there is sarcasm. In other words, how are you gonna protect yourself? Go ahead, make all the precautions you can. It's coming after you. This surah also has a lot of sarcasm against kuffar. Already we learned Allahu yastahzi'u bihim. Allah is the one making fun of them. Here we're learning Fattakun Nar. 
How are they going to have taqwa from the fire when they're trying to produce a competitor to the Qur'an? They're guaranteeing themselves hell. So this is a means of sarcasm. Later on in this surah, we'll find other places. For example, بِئْسَمَا يَأْمُرُكُمْ بِهِ إِمَانُكُمْ The Israelites will be told, what a horrible thing your iman tells you to do. Your faith? This is what you call faith? What terrible things your faith tells you to do? You know, Allah didn't say that your kufr tells you to do bad things. He's being sarcastic with them. He, later on, he says about the hypocrites and the munafiqu and the, the Israelites together. He says, "Fama asbarahum ala nar." What amazing patience they have to withstand the flames. You know, these are this is sarcasm of Allah manifest in this surah, and this is appropriate because the people we're dealing with were the worst in their their uh, insults and their criticisms against Allah's book. Anyhow, waqudhu nasu wal hijara. So why don't you protect yourself from flames, the fuel of which is people and stones? Allah mentions this fire is flamed by the, the fuel of it instead of being wood or oil or things like that. It is fueled by people and stones. Now people of course, those who deserve hellfire. Stones, some ulama commented, this is also found in tafsir of some sahaba, they used to worship idols made of stone. So you will burn along with your idols. You will burn with these stones that you worship along with, with you. So وَقُودُهَا النَّاسِ وَالْحِجَارَةِ Also others commented that a fire made of stone, meaning lava and melted stone, is no, there's no comparison between that flame and that intensity and the, the flame of anything else. There's no, compar- no, no real comparison. So Allah alludes to the intensity of this flame. This flame. Then He says, أُعِدَّتْ لِلْكَافِرِينَ This has been prepared for الْكَافِرِينَ Those who are bent upon disbelief. Those who are deniers. I didn't get to mention this before, but the word kafir in Arabic comes from kafara, to bury a seed inside the ground. Kuffar in Arabic, which we know as disbelievers, that's actually in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Fatih, it's also used in the meaning of farmers. In the meaning of far, the word same word kuffar. Why? Because what does a farmer do? He plants the seed in the ground. The idea of calling a disbeliever kafir is that he already had the truth inside him before he even came to this earth. That was, the seed of truth was already there. He buried it inside and never let it see the light of day. The light of Allah came and wanted to come in contact with the light that was inside him, which Allah describes as nurun ala nur. There's a light inside you, there's a light from revelation, light upon light, that phrase you may have heard before, right? But this light inside of him, he buries it. Because he buries it, it's never able to meet that light, so this is called kafir. So, uiddat lil kafirin, if you want to look at a literary explanation, it has been prepared for those who buried the truth inside and kept it there. These are the disbelievers. Then he turns to the opposite, and he says, وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Now, here, Allah Azza wa Jal could have said, وَأُبَشِّرُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَوْ التَّبْشِيرِ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Meaning, congratulations to those who believe. But actually, he commanded his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, told him, you congratulate those who believe. You congratulate those who believe. So now, you have to understand this, this remarkable thing that's happening here in, the, in between the lines. The challenge was against the Qur'an, wasn't it? Produce a surah like the Qur'an. But how is the Qur'an coming to them? The Qur'an is not coming to them by email, <laughs> or by any kind of broadcast. How are they coming into contact with the Qur'an? Not even on paper. They're coming into contact with the Qur'an by means of the Messenger of Allah So a denial of the Qur'an, at the same time necessarily is a denial of the Messenger. The two things are one and the same. As far as denial is concerned, they're one and the same. 
So now on the one hand, they've denied the Qur'an, but at the same time, that means they have done kufr against the Messenger of Allah wasallam. Now that same Messenger is being told, you from this same book that they're denying, congratulate those who believe. وَبَشِّرْ you, you congratulate those who uh, believe. وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And have acted righteously. This condition has been added. You see, if you say, وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Congratulate those who believe. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا includes three kinds of people. And this is not commonly understood. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا includes people who really have faith inside. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا also includes people who have weak iman. They have weak faith. But even then when Allah says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا They're included in it. Actually, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا also includes hypocrites. It even includes hypocrites. Why? Because even they claim to believe. So when Allah says, those of you who claim to believe, those of you who have professed iman, then it includes all three groups. But the congratulations is not to all three groups. So to make it more clear and restricted, Allah says, وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ No, congratulate those who've professed their belief, they've entered iman, and they act righteously, thus confirming their belief. So it's a more restricted group than just saying, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And if, if this is confusing you a little bit, I'll tell you briefly, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, for example, He says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَا لَكُمْ Those of you who believe, what's wrong with you? Now if, they, if, if يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا only refers to true believers, well, there's nothing wrong with true believers. When Allah says, إِذَا قِيلَ لَكُمْ انْفِرُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ اثَّاقَلْتُمْ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ When you're told, march forward in Allah's path, you, your feet get planted into the earth. This is the attitude of the hypocrite. But the ayah didn't begin, oh those of you that are hypocrites. It began, oh those of you who believe. Similarly, very clear-cut case in Surah Al-Saf. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لِمَا تَقُولُونَ مَا لَا تَفْعَلُونَ those of you who claim to believe, why do you say what you don't do? Well, who does that? Whose attitude is of saying something and doing something else? That's the hypocrite. But even when they were addressed, what phrase is used? Alladina amanu. So it includes all three, but then when Allah restricts it to the true believers, then He adds a condition, which is وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ أَنَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ That especially and only for them, there are gardens at the foots of which rivers are flowing. You've heard this many times. Gardens underneath which rivers flow. If you're reading English translations often, you've heard this phrase over and over again, Allah describing paradise in this way. But we don't stop to think about it. We don't stop to think about it. Understand something, even in this modern day, after thousands of years have passed, century after century has passed, even to this day, the highest real estate is waterfront properties. And it's at an elevation. If your property is at a low elevation, that it's susceptible to flooding and all kinds of other problems. But if your property is at a high elevation, then if there are any problems, then you know, they, 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 they trickle down and your property is still safe. And the higher it is, the better view it is. Real estate agents will go and take you straight to the window. Check out the view. You know, check out the balcony. They'll take you there. And you'll find the higher the floors are in high-rise buildings, the more they charge you. And, and, and even in hotels, if your hotel like window is facing the ocean property, the ocean side, then they charge you more. This idea of human beings being able to view water from their homes, right? This is even precious to human beings today, even today. So Allah Azza wa Jal tells us things that are, are innate inside of us. What I'm trying to get at is, when Allah talks about jannat, gardens, even gardens, you know, I used to live in, uh, in, on the east coast, and when I, first I got married, we used to live in New Jersey for a little while, South Jersey. This is right by the Atlantic Ocean. And all these millionaires live there, right? So there are apartment complexes and all of a sudden there are these at least, each property is at least two acres. And these are waterfront properties. And the front yard is about an acre, 
right, lined with trees, high walls. You can't even see inside the house until you get to the gate, which is kind of a, a, a grill, so you can see through. So when you're driving, you get a little peek inside the mansion and you go, whoa, that's nice. <laughs> you know, the trees covered the entire driveway, goes all the way inside and behind it you could see the ocean. This idea of beautifying gardens, this idea of having a, a, a nice lawn, you know, greenery, shrubbery. These are things that are innate inside human beings. You know, to, even in people that live in places like the concrete jungle in New York City, you know what they'll do? They'll get the apartment on the 10th floor, but their windows covered with greenery. And they'll put like flowers and things like that, and hang plants and palm trees. Why? Because they want that imagery. And if they can't have that, at least they'll put a picture of some greenery in their house. So this is innate inside human beings. Allah gives us what we want. Look, you and I, and I'll probably end with this ayah today, you and I are going to struggle even if you're not a believer. Even if someone's not a Muslim. You ask them at the end of the day, any hard-working human being, what do you want to work towards? What do you want to get? You ask a man living in America, you ask a man or woman living in China, you ask a man or woman living in Indonesia, anywhere else. What do you want to do with your life? What's the final end game? You know what most people will tell you? At least I want to buy a house. At least I want a house. That's what I want to work up towards. And maybe when you're younger, you don't think like that. When you get, start getting older, you think about the acquisition of your own land, property. This, this idea of wanting something permanent that's not going to go away is inside us. And if you're living in a house that's for rent, every day you think, how much have I saved now so I can put down for a house? How can, how can I make this situation permanent? Because you feel like you're unstable, you're not really settled if you're living on rent, and you don't have something to your name, or it's not paid for, etc. This is inside of us. Allah put this inside of us, and one of the wisdoms of that is, so you'll really learn to long for paradise, because He's giving you real estate that's permanent. And He's giving it to you custom made just for you. You know, it's one thing to buy a foreclosed home, and a home that's like, it's, the price is right, but nothing else is, you know. <laughs> There's one thing to do that. But there's, the, there's another to buy a house, or to get a house, to acquire a house that is exactly what you want. Laid out exactly on the terms you want. And sometimes when you have your idea of the house, the contractor comes and says, this is, this is gonna run you pretty, pretty a lot. If you want it this way or that way, it's gonna be a little more expensive. Oh, a kitchen over here? No, I can't do that. It's gonna cost you extra. And then you compromise your dreams and you say, okay, I'll settle for less. Allah says, I'll give you exactly what you want. And I won't give you yard, a yard, I'll give you yards. And understand the psyche. Look, Allah is talking to Sahaba. Some of them have left their homes. They have no home, they're homeless. Some of them are living in Al-Mashid al-Nabawi. These are Ashabu Sufa. These are the, basically the bankrupt of the Sahaba. And now Allah is saying, you know what? You haven't lost anything. I'm gonna, get you, I'm gonna get you real estate, and this is in the middle of the desert, I'm gonna get you gardens. Forget gardens, there'll be rivers flowing underneath them. And you know, lakes can have stale water. You know, oceans can have their, their, their problems, it could be, even have dangerous things, but rivers that are flowing have beautiful, crystal clear water. SubhanAllah. أَنَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ Then he says, كُلَّمَا رُزِقُوا مِنْهَا مِنْ ثَمَرَةِ الرِّزْقَ At least we finished this ayah today. كُلَّمَا رُزِقُوا مِنْهَا Every time they are given provision to it, from it, as, as in terms of fruit as provision, so they're given all kinds of fruits here. What do they say? This is the thing that was given to us last time. They're not complaining here, you need to understand. You know when, you, when you, uh, a, 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 a dessert is placed before you, and you say, oh my God, I've had this before, this is awesome. <laughs> That's what's happening. They, they, they brought this fruit, they say, Yes, that again. You ever see that with your children? 
Like they love this flavor of ice cream, you put it in front of them and they start like, you know, takbir even before they've started eating the ice cream because they're excited. I know what this tastes like. This is going to be amazing. So they say, Is that whining? Ah, oh, we had this yesterday. That's not what this is saying. They're saying, yes, this is what we had before. And then Allah says, وَأُتُوبِهِ مُتَشَابِهًا It will be brought to them in similar fashion. In other words, it will appear to them, to, it will look to them as though it's the same. But then it's actually not going to be the same. When they taste it, it tastes better. And it tastes different from even last time. And so they say, oh, I can't wait to have this next time. When the next time it's brought, they're like, yes, I had this before. But they taste it, it's better and more unique than the last time. You know, this doesn't even happen in the best restaurants. Your favorite item in a restaurant, you say, I love eating that from that restaurant. You go there, you eat it. You say, next time I'm gonna order the same thing, but it's not as good as last time. <laughs> it, there's no consistency in this dunya. The ingredients can be off a little bit. The proportions can be off, but not in Allah's paradise. And finally, walahum fiha mutahara. And in especially for them, there will be purified spouses. Purified spouses. Now, under this, this is since it's the last ayah, I'll just make a quick comment. Maybe we'll talk about it in more detail tomorrow, inshallah. One of the last pleasures of this paradise that Allah mentions as a climax, is they will have, especially for them, they will be purified spouses. What is that telling us? A purified spouse in this dunya is a glimpse of Jannah in the Akhirah. A good spouse in this dunya, because Allah is giving us that over there. When we have that in this dunya, and this is why the Messenger tells us, alayhi salatu wasalam, if you're, your good spouse, your believing spouse, will become your spouse in paradise as well. This is, this is a gift of Allah Azza wa to us. وَلَهُمْ فِيهَا Purified spouses. And this purification, what makes them purified is talked in more detail in Surah Ar-Rahman. In Surah Ar-Rahman, the idea of spouses and what they're like and what makes them purified is discussed in, in, in great length. Anyhow, وَلَهُمْ فِيهَا أَزْوَاجٌ مُطَهَّرَةٌ وَهُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ And in it, and only in it, they will remain permanently. There is no permanent residence, even if you have a green card. There is no staying forever. This is the only place that they will stay forever. Hum fiha khalidun. This promise is given, this congratulations is given to believers. You know, it's like a certificate. Everywhere else they turn, they were called fools. Anu'minu kama amana sufaha. A few ayat before we read. We should believe like these idiots, like these fools believe. Munafiqoon, we're calling them fools. Allah is commanding His Messenger. No, don't call them fools. Go and congratulate them. Shake their hand, honor them. You have earned the highest degree of reward anybody can earn. You've earned the highest, highest honor possible. So Allah says at the end, هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ In it and in it alone they will remain. SubhanAllah. May Allah make us all the people of paradise. May Allah accept all of our ibadat from us. And make us of those who are worthy of the congratulations of His Messenger. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikil hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. A'udhu billahi minash shaytan al-rajim. إن الله لا يستحيي أن يضرب مثلا ما بعوضة فما فوقها فأما الذين آمنوا فيعلمون أنه الحق من ربهم وأما الذين كفروا فيقولون ماذا أراد الله بهذا مثلا يضل به كثيرا ويهدي به كثيرا وما يضل به إلا الفاسقين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وله ثم أما بعد
Moving on, we read Allah Azza wa says, "Inna Allah la yastahi an yadriba mathala." There is no doubt; it is not Allah that is embarrassed to strike an example. Striking examples is an Arabic figure of speech. We don't really use it in English. We say, "Give an example," "Offer an example." Daraba mathala in Arabic, it's used because an example is something that captivates an audience. Just like when you strike something, it makes a loud noise, and everybody's attention is turned towards the the place from which the sound came. Also, it implies that there is an impact of that audience. Not literally, but figuratively speaking, when you give an example, it should carry an impact. It should impact the one listening to it. It should impact the way they think about things, impact their understanding. That's the implications of daraba mathal, and it occurs oftentimes in the Qur'an. So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, Allah for sure is not embarrassed that He would strike an example, مَا بَعُوضَةً فَمَا فَوْقَهَا Whatever it may be, a mosquito, or even something above and beyond that. In other words, above and beyond that in being minuscule. Now, this idea of giving the example of a mosquito or something even above it, how come Allah Azza wa uses this particular phrase? There are several commentaries about this. Uh, you know, in Surah Al-Hajj, Allah dedicates an entire passage to making us reflect upon a single fly. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ those of you, those who you call on other than Allah can't even create a fly, even if they all got together for that purpose. So here he talks about a mosquito. And you know, it's interesting that back in the day, a millennium and a half ago, people might say, what's the point of talking about a mosquito? But today we know how many millions of lives are lost to malaria. <laughs> how heavy a mosquito can be. Right? SubhanAllah. So above and beyond that, and you know... Uh, Shaykh Zanadani, who his opinions, not all the time do I agree with them, but he's, he's done some great uh, research on correlation between scientific phenomena and the Qur'an. And he talks about how there's bacteria on top of the mosquito. So Allah didn't just say even smaller than that, he said above it. So فَمَا فَوْقَهَا So he kind of takes it literally. But looking at the language of the Arabs back in the day, when you look at فَوْقَهَا in its classical meaning, the interpretation is above and beyond it. Even as small as a mosquito, or it could even be smaller than that. He's not, he's not embarrassed to give such examples. But the point is, why not? Why would he give such examples anyway? You see, the example is never the point. The point is a lesson that's behind the example. So if to make that point, Allah uses something small or something big, that's not the problem. The problem is you're missing the point. So in order to get the point across, the teacher, as we do now, the teacher will use whatever means at his disposal to best teach that lesson. And if that lesson is best taught by means of a mosquito, then that be it. Now, tie this, you won't appreciate what's coming in this ayah fully until you go back to the very beginning of this surah. Allah Azza wa Jal talked about this book as guidance. Later on, He talked about this book as a miracle which cannot be duplicated. Now the people who fail to duplicate it have to come up with some justification for not believing in it. So here's the second line of justification. Come on, what kind of examples are these? What's he talking about? Like Nodeki, a famous Orientalist, talked about how come God, your, your God in the Quran, he talks about someone falling from the sky. You know, Whoever does shirk with Allah is like the one falling from the sky. He goes, this is silly. What do you mean falling from the sky? So in other words, they couldn't come up with anything else, so they go after the examples that Allah Azza wa Jal gives. And so he says, As for those who actually believe, they already know then that this is the truth from their master. The fa here, amanu means specifically tied to this discussion. In other words, when believers hear the example, whether they understand it fully or not, 
whether they get it or not, the first response they have is, this is definitely truth from their master. This is truth from their master. They submit their intellect before this example. You know, just something else about examples, examples are a big part of the Qur'an. Allah gives examples and parables often. And sometimes they can be quite complex. They, they require a lot of reflection and study and background and analysis. But Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in Qur'an, وَتِلْكَ الْأَمْثَالُ نَضْرِبُهَا لِلنَّاسِ وَمَا يَعْقِلُهَا إِلَّا الْعَالِمُونَ These are examples we give for people. In other words, the purpose of the example is benefiting people. But he says nobody understands them except people of actual knowledge. People of actual knowledge. In other words, without proper knowledge, you cannot read, you cannot study or, or read an example in a shallow translation and assume that you get what is being said. It requires knowledge. It's a prerequisite for understanding the example properly. So Allah says, فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ As for those who believe, they already know. Then they know that this is the truth from their master. وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَيَقُولُونَ مَاذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِهَذَا مَثَلًا As for those who disbelieve are concerned, then they say, what does Allah intend by using this as an example? Now there's a difference in language here. If Allah said, مَاذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِهَذَا الْمِثَالِ أو بِهَذَا الْمَثَلِ the language would have been different. That would have been, and sometimes translations do, don't make this distinction. They say, what does Allah intend by this example? Actually, that's not an illegitimate question. Even a mufassir asks the question, what does Allah mean by this example? And that's not what the ayah is saying. The ayah says, مَاذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِهَذَا مَثَلًا تَمْيِيزٍ This is a different kind of Arabic here. How I'm translating it is, what does Allah intend by using this? as an example. In other words, they're pointing at the object of the example, be it a mosquito, a mountain, whatever it may be. They're saying, what's the point of talking about that? In other words, they don't have a problem with the, with the lesson of the example, because they don't even know there's a lesson. They're caught up in the objects that are being used in the example. So, ماذا أراد الله بهذا مثلا يضل به كثيرا ويهدي به كثيرا Subhanallah. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, He's talking about Qur'an and the example. Within the, within the Qur'an, He's talking about the mathal. He says, He misguides with it many. He misguides with the example many. And He guides with it many as well. Now, this it could refer to the example, and this it could be Allah taking, basically looking at a macro view and saying, talking about the entire Qur'an. Saying that Allah Azza wa Jal will guide, misguide and guide by means of the same revelation. Oh, what, is that? what in the world does that mean? That means it's entirely dependent upon the intentions and the motives of the one approaching this book. The one who comes to this book trying to find criticisms will find nothing but criticisms. You know, you, you must have heard the interview on CNN of the guy that from the church who wants to burn the Qur'an. Right? They've read it too. They'll quote ayat to you also. But when they come with poison in their minds, they will only get poison inside the book. They won't get any guidance out of it. You have to come to it with an attitude of pursuing guidance to get guidance out of it. And by the way, most people come to the book with the wrong attitude. And Allah mentions the majority first, يُضِلُّ بِهِ كَثِيرًا then وَيَهْدِ بِهِ كَثِيرًا The ones he guides with it, he mentions later. Because they're a smaller group and they're a minority. But then he just makes sure you and I understands. وَمَا يُضِلُّ بِهِ He does not misguide with it at all. إِلَّا الْفَاسِقِينَ Except those who are inherently corrupt. In other words, that misguidance, the people coming to the Qur'an and then finding misguidance, can only happen if someone had corruption inside them to begin with. That ingredient of seeking taqwa, seeking guidance, that ingredient was missing. That's when they would find corruption and guidance or, or misguidance in the Quran. By the way, all of the deviated 
offshoots from mainstream Islam, from Ahl Sunnah Islam, all of them quote the Quran. All of them. From the Ismaili to the Qadiyani, whatever movement you talk about, they believe in prophets after the Messenger of Allah, Ma'adullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Even the Baha'is will quote something from the Quran. Even they will quote something from the Quran. So if you have a corrupt intention, you will also find something in this book that you will make the basis of your, your false religion. Subhanallah. So he says, وَمَا يُضِلُّ بِهِ إِلَّا الْفَاسِقِينَ And then he gives us a description of these fasiqeen. He says, الَّذِينَ يَنْقُضُونَ عَهْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مِيثَاقِهِ Those who cut apart, who violate the promise, the covenant of Allah after His covenant had been taken. What covenant is he talking about? The first covenant he's talking about is the one we took before we even got here. We were in the presence of Allah Azza wa Jal, all of us in the form of the, the ruh that was blown into our, the, the wombs of our mothers. We were before Allah. This is mentioned in Surah Al-A'raf. And he asked us all a blanket question. He said, Alastu bi rabbikum, am I not your master? And all of us had responded, and it's recorded in the 172nd ayah of Surah Al-A'raf. Qalu bala shahidna. Of course, we, we bear witness. We, 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 we testify. And then Allah at that moment, this mithaq has already been taken. So often Allah mentions, وَقَدْ أَخَذَ مِثَاقَكُمْ The covenant, the contract, the agreement has already been taken. Before you even got here. And this is by the way why we mentioned in the beginning of this surah, Allah calls people to faith by means of the book. They believe in this revelation and what was sent before. He calls them to believe in this book in which there is no doubt. But in conclusion, He also says, no, even if there is no book, you should be worshipping your master who created you and the ones before you who put the earth as a flooring. Remember that? In other words, the, the reasoning, that appreciation of Allah was already installed on our hard drives before we even matured into adult human beings. That was already there. So now he's saying, these are the people who cut that covenant with Allah. Their fitrah, their decency that inclines towards a master, they deny it. The second covenant here that Allah is talking about is the covenant of you know, believing in the messengers. In other words, there are people, even among Muslims, who will listen to Qur'an and then make criticisms about it within the Muslims. And these are people who verbally, literally even after coming to this earth, they've taken the covenant over again. They've already said, La ilaha illallah. They've already said, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. These were already people who believed in Musa alayhi salam and still questioned him. Am turiduna an tas'alu rasulakum? Kama su'ila Musa bin Qabl, that's coming later on in the surah. Allah says, do you intend to question your messenger the way Musa was questioned before? Is that what you intend to do? This covenant, when we say La ilaha illallah, when we say Muhammadur Rasulullah wasallam, then this covenant contract is taken. In other words, now you have no room to talk about, I don't think this makes sense or that makes sense. That, that room is finished. That door is closed. So he says, those who violate the covenant of Allah, the, co- the promise of Allah, after the contract has been tied, وَيَقْطَعُونَ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ أَن يُوصَلَ And they cut apart what Allah has commanded to keep joined and connected. This ulama comment is the brotherhood of Muslims. They, they, they struggle against the unity of the believers. They, they, you know, they're not quite here, they're not quite there. That's been alluded to before. Also, Allah, some ulama comment about this ayah because Allah made the language general that the fasiq will be known, the first step of the fasiq will be known in the relationship inside his family. And his, you know, all the relationships of the family, Allah commands us to keep them connected. Silat al-Rahim is called. Keeping the relationships of the womb connected. The fasiq, you can see his outside dealings in business and other things. But before all of that, he cuts or she cuts off relationships in the, inside the house. Between husband and wife, there's a rift. Between cousins, there's a fight. Between uncles and nephews, there's a fight. These rifts are also part of fisk. They cut apart what Allah commands to keep combined. 
وَيُفْسِدُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ And by the way, what Allah commands to keep combined, you know, uh, Ash-Shawkani rahimahullah had a very beautiful commentary because Allah is including the discussion of hypocrites here. He said something very subtle and powerful. One of the movements within hypocrisy, even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, you know what it was? It was to separate Allah from, or separate the Qur'an from the Messenger. The Qur'an from the Sunnah. There was a movement within the hypocrites, even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, when he would command them to do something, he would say, is it in the Qur'an? If it's not in the Qur'an, I don't have to listen. They would say that to his face. These were the munafiqun. They're talked about in that regard in Surah Muhammad. Right? So the, the Allah has commanded that two things be together. What are those two things? His word and His Messenger, alayhi musatu wassalam. Rasulun min Allahi yatlu suhufan mutahara in Surah Al-Bayyana. They go hand in hand. But the munafiq wants to separate those two. So that once you separate those two, then you can interpret the book however you want. Because you're not caged by the model practice of the sunnah. You're not caged by that. You can interpret it however you will. It becomes entirely subjective. And by the way, that ancient movement of hypocrisy is still alive today. It's still alive today. The attempts to cut apart Allah from, uh, the, the book of Allah from the Messenger of Allah wasallam to make them two separate things. And they do it in different ways. Some will say, oh, his job was just to deliver the message. Everything else is his personal business. Kind of like nowadays you have FedEx, UPS service. Their job is to deliver the package, nothing else. You don't thank the guy who delivered it. You sign the paper and move on. So they say, this is ma'adullah, this is the role of the messenger. Others say, no, no, no. He is a messenger and he, you know what he did is great. These are wonderful things. Obviously Allah would pick a great, pick a great man to be a messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But that doesn't mean we have to follow him. It just means he's nice. So it's it's a great thing that he did those wonderful things, but we're only obligated to follow Allah's book. These ideas... By the way, are nothing but a contradiction and an attack against the Qur'an itself. This is not even an attack on the sunnah. This is an attack on the Qur'an. If people genuinely studied the Qur'an, there is no room. There is no room to make such claims. There is no room whatsoever. So, I know I went on a tangent, but this was an important tangent to discuss. Allah says, وَيَقْطَعُونَ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ أَن يُصَلْ they cut apart what Allah has commanded to keep joined. وَيُفْسِدُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ And thereby, what do they do? They cause corruption in the land. وَيُفْسِدُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ Now when they cause corruption in the land, obviously other people suffer. Whenever you do corruption, it is not just that you're, you're doing something that has repercussions on you, more than anything else, it has repercussions on others. But in the end of the ayah, Allah says, even though you think they are harming others, أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ They themselves are the ones in loss. They themselves are the losers. The, the harm they cause others is nothing compared to the harm they're causing actually themselves. كَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِاللَّهِ Now Allah is addressing all of humanity. Because يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ came already. So that passage is continuing. He says, كَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِاللَّهِ How can all of you, how can any of you really would be a better translation. How can any of you disbelieve in Allah? Also means, how can any of you be ungrateful to Allah? Kufr means two things. One, to deny, to deny someone. Also to be ungrateful to someone. Kufran and ni'mah in Arabic literature. Okay? How can you deny Allah? How can you be ungrateful to Allah? وَكُنْتُمْ أَمْوَاتًا فَأَحْيَاكُمْ And you used to be dead and He brought you to life. You used to be, you were, you were dead and He brought you to life. ثُمَّ يُمِيتُكُمْ Then He will give you death again. ثُمَّ يُحْيِيكُمْ Then He will bring you to life again. Then He says, ثُمَّ إِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ Then you will be returned back to Him. He will put you through this cycle. You were nothing, you were dead, then He brought you to life. 
Then he, he'll give you death again. Then he will bring you back to life again. And when he brings you back to life again, you will be returned to him. Our entire journey in life has been described in this one little tiny ayah. And, at that, and, and the conclusion of that journey is, if you understand that journey, there's only one question you should be asking yourself. How dare I be ungrateful to Allah? Because at the end of that journey, where are you, you and I going to be? We're going to be returned to Him. You're going you're to stand in front of me. After this journey, after these stops in this journey are done, you and I are going to stand in front of Him. How are you then going to answer Him? Know that you are, you and I, kadihun ila rabbika kadhan. You are taking steps towards your master, whether you're standing still or moving. It's like you're on this frayer, you know, freight belt that keeps moving whether you move or not. It's, head, it's taking you in that direction. So we're headed in that journey. So we have to be you know, uh, cognizant of us meeting with Allah Azza wa Jal. And He uses this life journey itself as, as enough evidence. Evidence after evidence after evidence to come to guidance. This, your journey in life itself is evidence that you should come to guidance. How are you going to stand in front of Allah? Even Christians have these big billboards I've seen. You will meet your Lord and you'll have to answer Him. <laughs> They've got those church signs. I was like, yeah, I can agree with that, sure. That much we can agree with. You know, ثُمَّ إِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ One more ayah and we conclude inshaAllah. هُوَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا He's the one who created for you whatever's on the earth, all of it. And also means for all of you. Two things here. Whatever's on the earth was created for us, and whatever's on the earth was created for all human beings, not for one nation to hoard and to, to violate the rights of another nation. It was something to be shared with all of humanity. Now here when Allah says it was created for you, when something is created for you, by the way, Jannah is also created for us, then what's the difference between the earth being created for us and Jannah being created for us? Jannah was created for us, for us to enjoy. This world was created for us to get to Jannah. Whatever was given to us here are means that we utilize. We can enjoy them, but the purpose isn't enjoyment. The purpose is to utilize them to get to our final destination. That's the means. So you've been given all these tools to your disposal. هُوَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى إِلَى السَّمَاءِ فَسَوَّاهُنَّ سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتِ I won't give you a lengthy discussion on this one. I'll just tell you a story of Umar bin al-Khattab. He says he created for you whatever's in the earth altogether and for all of you. Then he says, then he rose towards the sky. He rose towards the sky. And then, فَسَوَّاهُنَّ سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتِ Then he fashioned them and balanced them into seven skies. So there was a, com- a companion, a-, a Bedouin actually, at the time of Umar radiallahu anhu, who was not getting this ayah. How did he rise to the sky? He used to go around the Sahaba saying, how-, how does Allah rise to the sky? How does he make seven skies? I don't get it. Can you explain that to me? And people, Sahaba didn't want to discuss it because these are from the mutashabihat. You're not supposed to open your mouth about something you don't fully understand. This is from the ghaib. You know, this surah even began with something we can't understand. Alif lam meem. So he finally, people point him to Umar radiallahu anhu. So he goes to Umar bin Khattab, Kaifastawa, how did Allah rise to the sky? He says, come here, let me explain to you. So he comes over, he punches him really hard on the head. And he says, you understand now? He says, yeah, I got it. <laughs> And he didn't ask those questions. He used to ask all these mutashabihat questions until the passing of Umar radiallahu anhu. Then he started again. <laughs> but he understood for a while. فَسَوَّهُنَّ سَبْعَ سَمَوَاتِ وَهُوَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ What a fitting ending. He says, he is knowledgeable of everything. What's he telling us? You're not gonna know everything. He will even hint to things that you can only wonder about, but you're not gonna get to know. But he will let you know, he'll give you droplets 
of what he himself subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. The purpose of this is not to, for us to engage in abstract discussions about the seven skies, but the purpose is to us, for us to be humbled before the knowledge of Allah. Seven skies we can't even fathom. Because the first sky, Allah says, the first sky he decorated with stars. And as far as we can see with modern telescopes, we see stars. And that's still considered what? The first sky. He's got seven skies. He's got seven skies. So how far is our imagination gonna go? The purpose of this ayah is to humble the human being and have him truly appreciate the knowledge of Allah Azza wa Jal. And if the person wonders, how is Allah gonna know everything I did? Everything I've done in my life, He's gonna bring me back to life and question me about every little thing? Well, He knows seven skies. So don't worry about the size of His knowledge. You're put in your place. May Allah Azza wa Jal give us an appreciation of His book and humble us before him may allah azza wa jal prepare us for the meeting with him barakallahu li wa lakum fil qur'an al-hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyyakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-hakim assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah